Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 466. Back in studio this week, Johnny V. Yeah. You're here for like lucky me a day or two, yes. and then you're off to Idlewild, the great state of Kentucky, almost Ohio. Yeah, in, in it, fact, like, I, I will dip into Ohio back and forth depending on the route to my hotel, I believe. It's, it's pretty close right it, there on the border. Burlington is more or less a suburb of Cincinnati, correct? Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay. So uh, I think it might take me less time to get to the airport than it would to get to the course yes i will be driving down there but it would take me less time to get over to the airport than the course so uh first of all welcome in everyone yes we are starting an hour early than normal it's a pretty rare occasion but every once in a while sometimes on tuesday nights we'll get going a little bit early are we gonna go just as late uh that's that's (laughs) what they're all asking and wanting to know is will it go just as late So what we're going to have tonight is a great show, 466 that is, and part of the reason that we're a little bit earlier is to help accommodate one of our East Coast... uh, Well, they're all East Coast right now. Well, I know, but I was going to say our our guest who is in the East Coast, and uh, or on the Eastern Time Zone, he's not in the East Coast, he's in the Eastern Time Zone. And that's one heck of, of course, a coast. If uh, if yeah. you're if you're counting Kentucky as the East Coast, <laughs> you're, you're talking, <laughs> you know, you know, Cincinnati, uh, Idle, uh, Cincinnati, yeah. Burlington, Idlewild area. Yeah, that's definitely a coast. Yeah, the, yeah coast of the, something. The, oh. I don't know what it is. Anyway, we're gonna have Cole Riddell joining us in just a few moments. We're gonna recap what we saw and heard at the 2023 Ledgestone Open. And uh, from there, who knows where things will go. Then we'll get into an after show and everything else that's silly uh, from there. So without any further ado, I guess we'll get right to it. The man of the hour, the man of the week, and your freshest winner on the Disc Golf Pro Tour, none other than Cole Radolin. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Um, definitely been on a lot of other shows <laughs> by now for sure. And still got a couple more to go, but, um, I'm loving it. And I, I just appreciate every single one. So, yeah. I, I mean, at this point, 
it feels like the winner does an entire tour of podcasts. I saw you on uh, Stokely's podcast. I think you're on Nick and Matt. Our podcast, of course, the most important one. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Uh, uh, tour life uh, that with Yuli. And then there's also probably Alta World. And like, there's just, and, and maybe more that I don't even know of. So that's a lot of time to spend after a win like this. And does it cut into your practice time at all? all these interviews that you have to do, or are you able to schedule them after hours? I actually did an interview after my round on Sunday at eight 30 that night, uh, with, with a crew that came into my RV with all their stuff. Uh, and we did a podcast right here and there. Um, but honestly, no, it doesn't really cut into my practice time. I've still done everything I've wanted to do for the Monday and Tuesday that I've had here in Kentucky. And uh, yeah, woke up slow Monday and just got here and then filmed with Stokely last night and Mick and Matt. And then today just went to the course, did grocery shopping. And I just been chilling all afternoon. So really, it's not that big of a deal. You get the, the, the day is long, so you find things to, to do to rest. So Did you get any extra snacks grocery shopping with that extra big check? You're like, I'm going to go with the double oh. stuff Oreos today <laughs> instead of the regular ones. <laughs> Definitely. I went for some caramel chocolate uh, popcorn. And then uh, I also went with some Ben and Jerry's ice cream that was on sale. Uh, so, yeah, let's say I'm just treating myself a little bit this week. But, hey, not too much. Not too much. We still got to be we still got to keep it healthy for the tournament. So um, maybe that's just because my mom's watching. But yeah. <laughs> it's OK. It's OK to spoil yourself just a little bit. Yeah. Baller on a budget. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I love it. That that uh, some good values instilled there by your mom and and your family. Um, I will follow that up, though, with is there anything that you do have your eye on as maybe a treat or a splurge? Uh, You know, some people will talk about whether it's a new phone or or I don't know, something else that you're like, you know what? Hey, now I'd feel comfortable going out and and splurging a few hundred dollars or maybe it's a thousand dollars. I don't know. Is there anything else that you might splurge on with a little extra pocket change? Well, definitely this season, something I realized traveling in the RV is it's a pain in the butt to tear down and drive to the course every single time that you need to practice. And so this off season, I was already planning on it. um, And this just honestly helps is uh, probably getting some sort of car to tow behind my vehicle or my RV. Um, I have a little car at home, but it's advised that I don't flat tow it. So I'm looking for mm. something that I can flat tow behind my RV. And just say this Ledgestone check is really helping me um, look look at some, some, some good options and high quality options. So yeah. What is a front runner? Like, what do you think about? What are you looking for? I know you just said your car is not necessarily good for that. So what are, educate us, give us what you would need to be looking for or thinking about with some of those restrictions. Yeah. Looking for kind of a, a smaller, a smaller car, something like a mini Cooper, honestly sounds super fun to me. Something with a little bit of zip to it and, and just a fun, cute looking fun car. Uh, and it's just, yeah, easy and small. Um, to, to tow. I mean, I only have a class C, so it's not that big of an RV. Um, but so yeah, I definitely want to keep things small for me, like, um, just for driving, like, I mean, I got used and comfortable to this thing pretty quickly, but the bigger, a bigger rig just kind of makes me nervous as well. So definitely just looking for something small, not, not too big. So yeah. What are some of the things that not only have you learned yourself, but maybe conversations, whether it's at the RV park or at the course or the campground, what are some of the really important things, uh, little nuggets of 
pro tips or help that you could say to someone after you've had this time on the road in an RV? Because it feels like that's a, a popular route in which more and more players are going. What what have you picked up? What can you pass along? Um, definitely. I mean, honestly, it's been amazing from the start. Uh, just just how easy it is logistically to like cook for yourself and get just get groceries for the week, and then you eat outside, eat in your RV all the time, every meal of the day, uh, unless you win, and then you go out to dinner on Sunday night. But <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, you. I mean. It's you go shopping, you got the refrigerator, you have the stove, you have the little oven, you have the, the microwave, whatever, um, and you have the sink and the ability to just store all your things. It's nice to feel settled all the time. You're not driving, driving, you're not taking bags in and out of Airbnbs every single week. You're not loading everything into this small car and then playing Tetris to get it all out and get it back in, you know. So it's like it's honestly super nice to just feel settled all the time. Um, and then find what things work in the best places. Um, I'm a very like OCD person. I got that from my mom. So like everything has its place. And I, everything's got to be clean. So um, that's honestly a good benefit for me if I'm going to be in an RV. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not as hard as people think like dealing with the tanks and the, the water and the electricity and the, um, the sewer and all that. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not that difficult. Um, and yeah, honestly, I mean, it's more comfortable too. I mean, a bigger vehicle is going to be a little bit more comfortable to drive and ride in. And, and I'm like, if this is going to be my lifestyle, then I want to be, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing it the right way. So has there been a surprise though, something that has happened and you're like, Oh man, I just, I didn't see that coming or I never even thought about, uh, Oh, when I, if I do go through a drive through I'm going under certain bridges, like, you know, the clearance, like just so many different things that I could think of that could go wrong or that I've heard of. Has there been any major surprises to you? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, my, my parents have owned a, a trailer and a 40 foot motorhome before I even got this thing. So like I've already, mm-hmm. and we, and we were in it as a family for a while together when I was little. So like I watched them do all the ins and outs and all the things <laughs> of what it, to be to have an RV, so I already had a pretty good idea of what it took. But the probably the most surprising thing was I got it, and then like the first time we filled the the propane tank for the generator, our pro my my generator just was not doing good. It just would not start. Um, and you know that's not a problem if you're connected to electricity. But once you go to the course and you want to turn on your generator for some AC or maybe to use any appliances it just won't turn on and so i'm like chomping at the bit to get back to my campground so i can plug in the electricity and get some ac on me um and so that's probably the most annoying thing is having that generator just not working i've had it checked out three times at cummins like like it's just terrible and i'm thinking i'm thinking it's probably a a, a propane regulator problem at this Mm. point um but yeah definitely annoying to deal with that and then um but yeah, I mean, everything with the upkeep is expected. Yes, definitely watching out for branches. That's always something that's important <laughs> with the height and bridges. Like, oh, there's the bridges. Okay, 13 feet, we're good to go. I'm 11, 8, so we're chilling. <laughs> you know, just little things like that <laughs> that you, you have to keep in mind. But it's not too bad. You get used to it pretty quickly. So well, I think of, you know, Macbeth with his, his big old rig at one point, I think partially ripped off an awning. I think Big Germ... I'm just going to assume has, you know, run into something or at some point uh, I feel like he had just some kind of a minor dent or damage. And just some of these things that you learn what you're not necessarily used to doing, but like you said, you at least had a little bit of background, you know, with your family. I do have, 
I do have something <laughs> I did at Music City Open. That was such a wet tournament, and the 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 parking player the parking area for the players was just terrible. It was nasty. Um, and so I tried to make this turn that was a little too sharp, and there was this like little ridge off this gravel road, and I thought I had enough space to clear it, and I ended up driving off of it, and my my tires went down and slid, and then it destroyed the connection of my um my exhaust pipe for my generator and so it just my exhaust pipe from my generator just shoved up into the rv and was just pinched between the ground and the rv and then you know i got everybody's attention automatically just goes to you and it's really awkward because you're just (laughs) trying to get out of the course and it's the end of the tournament and so then i um, trying to back up and it's so wet like I'm, I'm not going anywhere it got to the point where my tires wouldn't even spin they wouldn't even try to get out um so we had the pro tour people come over with their pickup trucks and pull my rv while i was pump pushing the gas and uh we ended up getting unstuck but we'll just say my generator exhaust pipe was not very happy for a little while after that so okay so i mean it's nice to be able to understand that you're touring with you know a uh, a couple dozen other people in the area that have probably gone through something very similar or they've, they all know everybody's going to have an RV issue here, there, and they're here to help. Like the pro tour guys. Oh, we got the pickup truck. We've done this before. You know, we helped so-and-so as Terry was saying, everybody's had issues with their travel vehicles at some point. So it's got to be at least a little bit. Yeah. There's a community out there, right? There's a a community of people willing to help. So speaking of community and, and traveling last question before we get to the nuts and bolts of this weekend is just tell us, explain how you've arrived at the touring. I don't want to say the touring lifestyle that you have, but a lot of times we'll see uh, a couple of guys go on tour. We'll see. We've seen a lot of different setups, a B and, and, and Hammes. Uh, Adam Hammes, for instance, I, I think we're rolling around in like a Toyota Corolla for a while or something now, but I mean, everybody has like a different setup so, and some people very solo, some people, uh, you know, almost of this, you know, caravan or carpooling type situation. What went through your, your process or how'd you arrive at your process to, to do what you're doing? And are people, you know, begging to jump in with you and, and become roommates. Um, on the roommate part first, I did house Gannon Burr for Masters Cup OTB mm. Open uh, in the RV, actually. Um, and at OTB Open, we stayed in the parking lot of the golf course. And mm. that was nice when my generator actually worked that week. That was, <laughs> yep. that was awesome. Um, so we got to use that. Um, and like, yeah, like, you know, it is my space. So I, I do you know, charge them rent if you want to say, but it's like, it's definitely doable. I mean, compared to their $800,000 hotel for the week, what, 200 bucks to stay with me for the week. And they have, you know, appliances or whatever they, they like bathroom and all that stuff. Like, sure. Like, yeah. And, and honestly it, it helps me too. And it, and it helps them. It's cheaper for them. And Hey, I get, I get something off the week too. So, mm-hmm. um, and I have an extra bed. It's the loft right above my, the chassis where I'm driving. So, um, I did house Gannonburg for a little bit and, um, haven't housed anybody else yet. Um, but yeah, honestly, it is nice to have my own space, you know, ideally some significant other with me, uh, later on down the road. But, um, yeah, definitely like, I kind of enjoy the solo game things in my place and, and being on my own schedule, my own time. Um, that's also kind of important, uh, for, I feel like me to be successful and, you know, how I try to treat my diet sometimes like I could do a little bit better, but sometimes, you know, I, 
I do want to prioritize my health. It is a professional sport. So you want to uh, make sure that you're not going through a drive through every single week or day of the week. Um, so honestly, it's super nice about the RV. I'd, I'm not encouraged to go through drive throughs or stop at restaurants because the parking lots are tiny. So, um, <laughs> that's definitely one bonus for sure. Um, so yeah, I kind of arrived at the RV. We, we, I mean, we've always seen the, the van lifers, the people mm-hmm. with the vans. Um, and I toured in my mom's, my mom has a Subaru Forester and beginning of last year, um, she toured with me from Vegas to Waco. And then during Waco, I drove her to the Waco airport and she flew home. And so then I was in her car alone touring for two and a half months last year. Um, I believe it was through um, Jonesboro until she flew out to Jonesboro. And we ended up driving all the way back to the West coast. She ended up driving all the way back to the West coast with me. Um, and so then we did the whole West coast swing last year. And then we were planning on doing the same thing with her car and just doing hotels and Airbnbs in her car. Um, and then we got to Degla last year and, you know, we already had an idea that I was probably going to try to get a van of some sort for this year of 23. Um, so that was already kind of in the back of our minds, definitely not a long-term solution being in her car. Um, so we left back on, on the road for Deglo. And, um, we get to Deglo and there's the big, massive general RV thing across the highway from Discraft. And so, and apparently that's where Discraft has gotten all of their RVs. So we drive by it and my mom, you know, she's thinking about all this stuff more than I am. I'm thinking about just playing the tournaments. (laughs) You know? And so she's like, all right, after you, once I drop you off for your round, I'm going to go and I'm just going to look at some stuff. I'm just going to look at it. I'm just going to look. I'm like, okay, fine. You can look while I'm practicing. Uh, and she picks me up and she's like, okay, you need to come with me. I want you to check all this out. I want you to check all this out. I'm like, I really don't want to check this out. She's like, I want you to check this out. I'm like, fine, I guess I'll check it out. So we get there and uh, we're looking through some vans. I'm like, yeah, this is nice and all, but like, what do you expect to buy one right now? Like, no, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so... Then she wants to show me the Class C RVs, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing an RV by myself. Like, I want a van. Like, that's easy enough for electricity. It's got a bed. It's got a few cabinets. Like, that's doable. Um, and then once we really thought about it and the Class C, and we, we took this thing for a test drive, and then I was like, okay, I guess I might be able to do this. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this responsibility, but I'm going to have to be, so I might as well do it now. Um, so kind of like forcing myself to grow up a little faster than I wanted to. Um, there's definitely a part of me by the end of last year where I was like, I just want to go home, like enjoy the rest of my childhood. And my dad was like, no, you're, you're 17, but you're an adult now just and you're on the road full time. So you're not, you, you are, you're grown up. And so that's definitely kind of funny from my parents are like, no, you're grown up now. So start treating your life like it. Um, and so then I was, that gave me maybe a little bit more of a pep talk confidence into getting the RV and, and wanting to figure all that out. Um, cause you know, the timing was right at the end of the day, the timing was right. Um, and so we ended up at Deglo last year. Um, we got a really good deal on this RV. And so we just went ahead and got it and we did a, we did like a double, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like 
I, I pay my parents monthly because my dad has good credit and all that stuff. Like I, I can't close on this RV with mm-hmm. without a credit card or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, we're doing that and it's working out really well, thankfully. And I, I love it. It's, it's nice. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely am not, there is a part of me that's envious of the people who's doing the Airbnbs, but at the same time, like the, that solution can be solved by just getting a little car for next year for me. Cause that is the most, the, the most annoying part about this is driving the RV to and from the campground each and every day. But if I just left the, the RV at the campground, then, and I can drive that little car all week, then it's 100% definitely the best option. Like I think I, the tour will probably get to the point where everybody's doing this because I just, I, those road warriors who sleep in their little cars, I'm just like, man, that is tough. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah if that's, that's what they love and works for them. Then great. But not, not for me, not for my full-time gig. So, so did the, did the RV come with Mario or did you bring did you put him in there? <laughs> um Oh yeah, I was in uh, I was in Waco this year and uh no, the RV did not come with Mario. <laughs> okay. I wish it did, but as the see as this as the years have gone by, I got a Switch for my birthday at the end of last year. I was super mm. pumped. I've always wanted a Nintendo Switch. My parents are like, "Yep, you can play it in the RV. It'll entertain you while you're feeling lonely out there." Like thanks guys, um, so I got a bunch of Mario games, Mario Golf, Ma- um, Mario Mario Party, uh, Mario Kart, and then uh, one other Mario. I don't remember what it was, uh, but yeah. And then I just love Mario. And then we went to an arcade with my friend Hayden in Waco. He moved from Oregon to Texas, and he joined me for for that weekend. And uh, I was just like, dude, I gotta I gotta get Mario. <laughs> and um, so we went we went and got and got Mario. Or no, I'm totally wrong. That was not the that was not the right time. I was actually visiting my girlfriend in Colorado when I came back on the road uh, after the Portland swing, and we went to an arcade. And not like I've been, I've gone to a couple arcades this year. Arcades <laughs> are so much. Uh, we went to an arcade, and there was Mario. And I'm like, you can get this, but I'm getting Mario. I'm sorry, <laughs> I paid for the credits to to play the games. I'm getting Mario, and he's gonna he's gonna accompany me in the RV and he's just been chilling here. He's the best companion I could have ever asked for. And he's super, he's super chill, easy going, never, never speaks a word. You know, it's nice and quiet around here. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty great. Okay. Well that, that, uh, yeah. If he starts speaking to you, then we have other problems (laughs) that we'll have to worry about. Or if he starts, uh, uh, running around and I don't know, spitting fireballs at you or something. Um, A lot of people have said this, and so I know I'm not unique in in reiterating it, but you very much come across as a very mature and put together 18 year old. There's there's plenty of adults, full grown adults that don't carry themselves or couldn't like carry us? themselves, yeah, nearly as put together as you do. Where where, and I mean that all obviously all is in in the most sincere as a compliment. Where does that come from in terms of your maturity level, your your comfortability with speaking, all of those types of things, and just your general outlook? Where does that, how did you arrive at all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I I just think that's such a testament to the way my, my parents have taught and raised me and the, and the experiences that I've had. Honestly, I, I feel like, I, I mean, I've been homeschooled since the first grade, mm. um, and so... Uh, my parents were able to instill a lot of, you know, adult things uh, into into me and my brother at young ages and what it takes to 
you know, be a responsible human being um, and not, you know, be maybe so swayed by some influences of some friends or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, then it has its pros and cons. You know, you want to be, you want to be social, you want to get those social experiences. And um, so, and then we really did that through a co-op. We would do this, this co like homeschool co-op where we'd go on Fridays and spend all day Friday with a bunch of other homeschool kids and go to our class with our tutor. And then we get a ton of homework to spread out throughout that week, uh, that one day. And so every Friday we got to, we got, we still had the friendships, still had the connections, all those things, still got to hang out with a bunch of people. And that was amazing. Uh, but then we also still had the the time with the family and influence of my parents out there at home. Um, and so, yeah, I honestly just give it all to my parents because, you know, they've, they're such wonderful, smart, wise people. And they've always been like, you know, you just got to be ready for life when, when it comes up on you, I don't care what age you are. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, we also did an online school for a while. Um, and there was a lot of like, uh, like classical education. So, um, like college credit courses. So a little bit more, um, I don't know. I don't know if the word advanced is proper, but uh, it's just just different and just a little more like based on logic and other things like uh, like that. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, it. I mean, sometimes it felt like that school just was frustrating and annoying, but sometimes <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you actually did come out <laughs> maybe a little uh, good at speaking after that. But no, I. I appreciate the comments about, about the maturity. Um, but at the end of the day, I am who I am. And I definitely don't want that to be like, you know, like, a like something that people think of me as a, as makes me cocky in any way, but like, I just want to carry myself for who I am. And so like, um, yeah, I think that just all, any of that, that people recognize or bring up is just, that's all from my parents. They've done such a well, good job raising me. And I'm so thankful to feel confident and comfortable taking the next steps in life so early in my age uh, because of their help and, and how kind they've been through the whole process and discipline. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it makes perfect sense. Everything that you're saying is, would it be fair to say maybe you recognize it or, or you don't, depending on who else you were around in, in your schooling, would it be fair to say you, some people might be surprised to hear even that you were homeschooled. You maybe don't fit some of the stereotypical homeschool, uh, stereotypes that you see and sometimes yeah. hear about sometimes. And I, and I, I do not think I'm being offensive in any way. When I say there is a stereotype that often okay. you see that sometimes when uh, children are homeschooled, there's just some s- lacking in some of the social categories, uh, social interactions yeah. and such. Um, and, and sometimes as a result of it or whatever, you don't sure. display any of that whatsoever. <laughs> Um, so do, do you notice that with any other people maybe that were homeschooled? Sure. I mean, you know, everybody's different. I think my parents did a wonderful job of keeping us connected with people, even though we were homeschooled, uh, whether it was neighbors, friends, you know, field trips through local there's, there's, I think there was this, um, local thing called life at home and it was where a bunch of homeschool families would come together at these meetings or field trips or hikes or all of these things. So it wasn't just like, you know, you're stuck at home all the time, just with your family. Um, it was a, it was a good outlet for us to connect with other families constantly on a pretty regular basis and build friendships, build relationships, build connections. Um, and so, yeah, I hear what you're saying about all those, you know, stereotypical kind of things. And like, yeah, you know, it is, it is unfortunate. Sometimes there are some, 
some kids out there that lack some social confidence and, and all those things. But, you know, you know, that's, you know, I think that's just a, it's just a part of life and nobody's going to be equipped the same as some other people. And that's yeah, again, testament, testament to my parents for what they've provided me. So. Yeah. And I, I don't, uh, again, I, I'm not trying to be offensive uh, to anyone out there. I don't know if the comments want to take offense to it. I've read about various studies, actually. I just even in the last day or two, I had heard a study saying that what I just said is completely opposite and is inaccurate. I don't know. I have my social observations. I know who whom I've been around um, and everybody can argue about it. And that's perfectly fine. Obviously, I think with the advent of the Internet and with social media and everything else, I feel like homeschooling has even taken a different turn in the last couple of decades versus when Johnny and I uh, were coming up and in the log cabins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, you know, clearly it's just a whole nother conversation that could be had for another day and no way am I ripping on or dogging or, or, uh, <laughs> take any shots at anyone whatsoever. I'm just simply uh, trying to tie it all together, uh, at, at uh, who we see before us and in, in the man that you've become. Even if your parents did say you're 17 boy, get out there and live some life, uh, (laughs) which is is awesome, which is, you know, clearly you're, you're ready and prepared for it. So let's, let's finally maybe get to some actual disc golf stuff, which is since we haven't had you here and and talked to you uh, in any in-depth capacity, give everyone your backstory to, to disc golf. What, what was it that got you introduced to it? You know, when did you know you'd be hooked? What were some of those uh, early memories that you have? Well, a name that you guys certainly will be, and maybe some people watching will be familiar with, is Zoe Andike. Um, she did. She ran a clinic with Dustin Keegan back in 2015, August of 2015, probably coming up on uh, eight years for me now. Um, and uh, she was running a clinic. I think it was some sort of series. It was like two or three days in a row. Uh, at my dad's uh, Intel campus in Hillsboro, mm. Oregon. I remember that. And we had, talked about that with her. Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, so I've never um, I've never played or heard of disc golf in my life. My dad actually played ultimate Frisbee at the field of me and my brother's old elementary school before we started homeschooling. So I definitely had loved throwing Frisbees. I knew how to throw a Frisbee because um, my dad loved ultimate. Um, and I loved ultimate, but when, by the time, like I was throwing Frisbees, I was too small. I had no business being on the field. Uh, I just loved playing catch with dad. So, um, by the time in 2015, when Zoe and Dustin were teaching that clinic, my dad went and, uh, went to their first one, I believe. And he came home and he's like, Hey, I went to this clinic and there's these two pros that are teaching this thing called disc golf. And I want you guys to come check it out. And so we ended up going and I ended up learning the basics of it and I didn't think any much of it, but I love it. You know, I love Frisbee. I love the flight of the Frisbee and, um, I just, I had a blast doing it and I just, I wanted to play, but I don't think like the passion of any sort of like anything bigger than just a fun thing to do with dad, you know, a fun thing mm-hmm. to do with the family and just a cool thing that we just learned. Um, and Zoe, you know, being the just flower that she is and, and as a person and just super kind and friendly, um, my parents ended up doing a private lesson with them at Milo McIver State Park, uh, I think maybe a few days or a week after that clinic. Um, and we'd been working on it. Maybe, maybe it was further after that because I think I kind of knew how to throw a little bit 
uh, by the time that we saw them. Um, but yeah, we went to the state park and we played some disc golf and I got a lot better after that day. And, uh, I was like a super smooth, uh, I think six twelve rating was my first rating update. Um, so I mean, pretty awful, but we're a lot better now. <laughs> that was in, that was in 2016. I played my first, or it was 20, 2015. It was 2015. It was I think the PDGA has you for tw- the Busy Beaver really? Open. Yeah. Okay. So, so two. So I've been playing for two or three months, and I entered my first tournament. I was the only junior in the tournament, so yeah. I did win. Hey, no haters. I won nope, the tournament. Nope. That's Nobody one of the twenty-seven career wins. <laughs> yeah, they all signed up. Nobody signed up. That's not my fault. I no, you can only beat the job. people. You can only beat the people exactly. who show up. That's my saying. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I think I averaged, I think, 658 for the tournament. But, hey, I won by, you know, infinite Everything. amount of strokes. Yep. It was awesome. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I ended up uh, doing a little tournament, and I just had a blast with the tournament. And we played some Ring of Fire, and I ended up winning the Ring of Fire one round, uh, and I was just stoked. And so, really, from that point on, it was just a fun thing to do with the family. They had a tra- We had a trailer as a family. We'd go out. And, uh, on the weekends during the summertime, almost every weekend, it felt like we lived, we lived, uh, with like a 20 foot by 30 foot yard in the front yard and like a 50 foot by 10 foot yard in the backyard. So we had like not much breathing room, no property at all in a neighborhood. And so we needed to just get out on the weekends. We need to get out at parks, whatever. And that's what disc golf was an outlet for our family to get away from all of that. Um, and my dad is very much about trees and nature and all those things. And, and he loves it. And, um, he's lumberjack now on our new property, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So back then it, it was definitely needing the trailer and going out as a family for disc golf. And my brother never really took form of it. He played a little bit, but also hated it. Um, I think he, his expectations for his success were not met when he would throw the disc. <laughs> um, but just his preference, he, he likes, he likes the video games, the card games, you know, the kind of more of the, maybe nerdy stuff if you want to say um not in any negative way towards him but you know that kind of thing um and so yeah it just kind of turned into kind of me and my mom and my dad and uh my brother tolerated it for a while but we'd go out on the weekends play those grind out b tiers c tiers you know one round in the morning then eat lunch and then run around in the afternoon or uh you know leave at 5 30 a.m uh wake up and get ready to go so uh those were definitely the the good beginning days. Um, but at that point I was big into soccer. I was big into soccer and basketball. Those were my two sporting loves. And, um, I had great passions for those. I'd always maybe as a kid dreamed of becoming some sort of professional at some sport because I hated school. I did not want to (laughs) go to college or just, you know, any of that junk. Um, so I just, I, I continued to work hard at the sports that I loved. Um, and so that was just a huge pattern. I was most excited when I got to go to practices and everything. Um, and then soccer, I started playing select league, which is a little bit more competitive. And I was by far one of the worst players on my team. And I just, and I just found that I'm like, I'm, I'm not cut out. I'm not cut out for this. Um, that I was not getting playing time and I was just like, I think it's probably time to hang up the cleats and play some more basketball. So we get to the point where I'm playing more basketball and then at this time, I mean, I'm playing a little more disc golf, just took soccer out of the equation. We're playing some more disc golf and, um, 
And uh, now basketball, I'm playing in middle school, having a blast, uh, seventh and eighth grade middle school basketball for our local private school. Um, and I got to play for them. And then we get to high school and when I'm coming, be, beginning to come freshman, uh, they say I cannot play for a high school team unless I go to their high school. And that was mm. a huge bummer for me because I love basketball so much. I just wanted to keep playing and I, I've, I've always wanted to play high school basketball. Uh, but since I couldn't go to the school, I couldn't play basketball. So I went to the local public school and, uh, I went to try out for their team and just a couple open gyms, uh, with the coaches there and everything. And, um, it was just not a good environment for me, for me personally, I just did not appreciate the environment, a, a lot of foul language and things just thrown around that I was just, you know, it's just not me. It's not something I want to be a part of and, and be around. And so, um, yeah, I think I even the coaches were like they were like sprint ten laps around the basketball court, and you know I'm like freshman skinny dude. I don't know what I'm doing, and uh, I was like I had trouble breathing. I had to like stop after nine. Like I don't have asthma. I was just running my butt off. I wanted to prove something <laughs> to these people, and I like collapsed and was like crying because I thought the coaches were, you know, they hated me, and the coaches were honestly not that nice. They were just not nice at all. <laughs> just like even they even they were cussing sometimes. Like you were just. It was just not a good situation. Um, and so I left that practice and I said, yeah, I'm not going back, not going back. I'm gonna, just going to not play basketball. And that was such a hard, such a hard thing to accept because I love basketball so much. Um, and at the end of the day, like if I hadn't, hadn't found disc golf, I feel like I probably would have maybe found some way for basketball to work. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, it ended up not working out. So, uh, as soon as I stopped playing basketball, that was around 2018, I ended up going pro the next year in disc golf in 2019. So now soccer and basketball are out of the equation. Now I'm just getting so much better at disc golf. I go from being an intermediate disc golfer in, uh, 2018, um, all of the, all of the year of 2018, I was playing the intermediate division. And then the end of 2018, I turned to MA1 and I ended up winning like my third or fourth ever MA1 tournament. Uh, and then I played MA1 and just kind of dominated MA1 for a little bit all that year. And then I went to the next gen championship in 2019, which is where Kyle Klein absolutely torched the field. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went there, I went there and took 18th and, uh, ended up deciding to come a professional, uh, at a point I, we were kind of thinking about it being a career. Um, we, uh, my dad was pretty set on me going to college that I was going to go to college. I was going to graduate. Um, and disc golf was just kind of going to be the side thing. But, you know, for me, I was, I loved this. I loved disc golf and I wanted to, I honestly saw, a, a an opening for me to become something more in it. And I had, a, I had, um, I had acquired my first sponsor in 2019, uh, which was my chiropractor and still sponsor, Brandon Garland with Oregon Sports and Family Chiropractic. He was my first ever sponsor. I wore I wore him solo on my back for the year of 2020, um, tw or 2019, and then also the year of 2020. Um, and so I got through 2020. Uh, the COVID year was kind of crazy, but the sport exploded. And, uh, then my family and my dad kind of saw a little bit more of like, okay, wow, there's a lot more money coming into the sport. There's a lot more people into the sport. Um, you know, there's a lot more things revolving around this sport now, and it seems a little bit more of a more financially stable, viable option for a life and a career. 
Um, and so from that point forward, it was just kind of like, all right, well, if we're going to do this, then we need to do this. And you're really good right now. And this is a great time for us to get you out there and, you know, start holding your own on tour. Mm -hmm. So by the end of 2020, we were instantly preparing ourselves. 2020, I had played MPO all year long. Um, I had not won anything, but I had played a lot of pro tournaments. Well, I mean, a lot of them were actually canceled. So I probably didn't play that many. I probably only played like, you know, four or five tournaments that year. Uh, but I've been working my butt off. You know, I was homeschooled. I had nothing else to do but then play disc golf with my friends and uh, play outside by myself. And, and also by 2018 and 2019, we had moved out of that home in the neighborhood. We had moved into a new property out in um, out on Bald Peak uh, between Hillsborough and Newburgh, uh, where we have 11 acres and I designed my own disc golf course. Mm. Oh, that's uh, kind of nice. <laughs> that is super nice yeah my dad has done so much work out there he cuts down so many dead trees uh on the weekly and um he loves it so much he spreads his way he gets he has this tractor that he drives around um and so yeah we we designed our own little course and over so much time he's put in so much work and i've put in a a, a good amount of hours myself on just clearing out that property and, and making it something fun and special I think my new course is it's uh, it's 18 holes and it's um, I've designed like four different 18 hole layouts on it, but they all intertwine within like six or seven acres because some of the acreage was not usable at the time. Um, and right now the course record is six under par. It is not an easy course. Dang. Um, 11 so acre, 11 acres, six under par. You would think a, a course like that. You imagine a personal course. That's eh, probably average hole 200, 250 feet, but six under par i mean you make it you make it work i mean there's a lot of holes overlapping each other you know obviously crossing fairways or like i i used to have a par three here and then a par three here and then now i've connected those two par threes to make a par four Mm. so it's just a lot of stuff happening like that where you um you play down one par four and then you rewind and play it the other way because it works both ways for the hole um so yeah a lot of practice, obviously, on that property. My game got a lot better, and then in 2021, I really decided to take it, take it as as much as possible. And I was I was sponsored by Discraft for the first time by a major sponsor, sponsored by Discraft, and uh, yeah, went on the road. Well, uh, and now thank you. I was gonna say, and now you're sponsored by DGA. You've been sponsored by DGA. Yep, now for I'm sponsored by DGA. Two years. This is your second this, year, this, correct? This is my first year. Oh, this is your first Next year. year. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't. Time flies when, yeah. when, when you're our age. For some reason, I thought it was uh, this was your second year. So not a bad first year for DGA then, I would say, for you. Getting, no. I, I mean, no. arguably the biggest elite series event of the year. You know, we obviously there's majors and we've got a couple other, you know, playoff events. But this is arguably the biggest elite series event of the year. DGA in general this year has had a really good season for their team for a long time. I mean, they're one of the oldest not the oldest uh, companies in disc golf. And up until I would say maybe two to three years ago, there wasn't much to speak of on the DGA team, but over the last two to three years, they've really yourself, Marweed, um, Austin Turner. Now Katrina Allen. I mean, you guys are all performing at the top level is going from Discraft to DGA. Do you feel like you're missing anything with DGA or do you have a full selection of everything you'd ever want with those discs? Well, 
I so yeah, I was with Discraft in twenty one, and I actually went over to Infinite Discs last year in ah. twenty two. Uh, that was my that was my sponsor for last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the open bag was really awesome. It was a really cool experience to throw whatever the heck I wanted. Um, and but it was also pretty overwhelming because there's so many options, and you have so many people <laughs> being like, "You should try this disc and do this disc." And I'm like, "Wait, how do, am I going to get that disc? Oh, you should send me this disc." And then um, there's just so many different options out there uh, that you also question, like, "Oh, is there a better disc for this shot than I'm actually throwing? Like, maybe <laughs> I should do some research on somebody else." So, you know, I mean, you know, that's a small part of it, obviously, but. It was also something, I mean, it, it was it, some, in some ways brought a little level of anxiety and stress to just having so many options and it was just kind of become, and, and, you know, when you have these, these signature runs with so many different little companies or things like that, like, I think I had a few with legacy, one with wild discs, one with mm-hmm. infinite as well. Um, you know, doing all these, uh, signature discs, like there's more people to keep in touch with, you know, there's a lot more business involved than really what I was looking for. Um, so, you know, if that works for some, like that works for someone like a Drew Gibson who has so much, you know, so many discs with different companies and all of these things, and he's a businessman and that works for him. That's great. But for me being young in the sport, that wasn't necessarily what I was looking for. Um, and so, you know, I loved infinite. It was amazing. It was awesome to be able to throw that open bag and have a lot of options. But at the end of the day, I was excited also to spread my wings somewhere else. And so, um, when DGA came over, came around, um, that last off season, we were able to work something out and, um, yeah, it just ended up being a really good option. And, and I, one thing I really loved about DGA was not really being overshadowed by anybody. Um, I'd kind of, I knew a breakout season was waiting for me. Um, I was feeling really confident in my game and really new discs weren't something that scared me. I was like, honestly, I think I'll find confidence pretty quickly. I had thrown a few DGA discs um, uh, for a while I'd thrown a quake and a pipeline and a hellfire, you know, some of these other staple mm-hmm. molds that they've had for a long time. Um, I'd thrown an aftershock or a shock wave actually, um, which is just an old version of the aftershock. Um, but so yeah, it, it came very naturally and honestly, I'm just very, I'm very stoked that it's been such a good year so far and I'm happy for them because they took a chance on me and I'm just very, very fortunate that I was able to pull through for them. So, yeah. So I, I have to ask one more thing about discs. Somebody, everybody's been asking, what was the disc you threw two miles in the air when you fell down on the course? What is it? Whole 13, 13. What, what, what was yeah. that that you threw? And are you okay? Cause the freeze frame that I saw your leg was one direction. Your body was the other. And when I was here cutting the show, watching you, I right, I immediately spotted the ankle and I was like, he's young. Hopefully he's okay. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't feel any pain whatsoever on that fall. It honestly felt like a pretty graceful fall for what it could have been. I know I did look back at the coverage and it did look ugly. I will say it looked ugly. I'm like, man, I looked like I totally just ruined my ankle and that (laughs) my body hit the ground so hard. But honestly, it didn't feel I really didn't feel anything. Um, And so, yeah, I just put all my effort into that shot through its like two miles into the sky and, and Paul Uliberry was just in awe because he could barely see my disc that high in the air. Um, but it was a first flight hypercane. So hypercane's a, a new disc that came out a couple years ago with DGA. It's their very overstable distance driver. And the first flights came out nice and domey and beefy. So that pink one was also what I threw on hole five and hole six's drive mm. and hole six's upshot. So those big hyzer shots that um that is the disc that I was using a first flight hypercane. 
Okay. Uh, and a moment ago, we were just talking about, you know, the chance and the DGA took and the year you're having. Just, I thought this was somewhat interesting as I was just flipping through a moment ago. 2020, uh, when you were playing pro, of course, you you won $2,800. As we said, that was a weird year with COVID and such. You win $2,800. 2021, for the year, you win $11,026 playing in 31 events. In 2022, for the year, you play in 30 events, so one less event, and you win 13000 uh, and change. In 2023, regardless of the year, I just mentioned, you know, eleven or 12000 then 13000 Just like 48 hours ago, you cashed a $12,500 check, figuratively. Uh, I hope you've cashed check. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, w- you, when you look at... Two years of roughly making twelve or thirteen thousand dollars, and then Sunday being handed a check for twelve thousand five hundred dollars. How how does that tra- how does that compute in your head? As you're at thirty four thousand for the year now, but even again taking two full years worth of work compared to one weekend, then how does that compute in your head? That's wild. I mean, uh. It's, I mean, I've just, I feel like I've all, you know, one of my really close friends, Ty Love back in Oregon, like Mm -hmm. we've, we met in 2016 at the Beaver State Fling at a chapel service. And we've been friends. We've been doing this journey together for so long, um, visiting his house. He'd visit my house. We'd play our courses and, um, and call doing putting practice together. You know, we've been doing this journey together and, you know, I'm excited for the world to see what he can do because he was one of those for he was one of those guys on the 18th green that just came in and just embraced me like I gave mm-hmm. him a hug and it was it was honestly pretty emotional for us just is like we like we didn't we didn't care who got their first big win we were going to be happy for the other person and we were going to celebrate that moment together because it felt more of like a win for for us together rather than just for that person um and and so yeah it's just the 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 mon- uh, just how big that moment was on Sunday you know, I wish it would have felt bigger. I mean, for, 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 I I don't know. I don't know how to say that. Like it, it was amazing, but it honestly kind of wasn't, was that what I expected? Um, Mm. but I was also just like, maybe, maybe it was just the mood of my round of just how I was just like, so dialed in and locked in and focused to automatically shift to pure celebration, I think was, was kind of difficult. Um, and so, you know, I think it's definitely each and every day it's sinking in just a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, but to hear those numbers, yeah, it's pretty wild. And it's pretty wild to think about how much bigger and better this year is than last year. Um, but honestly, it maybe doesn't feel that so big because I've always known it was coming. I, you know, me and Ty, we've always prepared each other and we've always prepared ourselves for this for this moment, exactly what I'm, what I'm kind of going through right now. And so it honestly feels like something that, you know, it maybe the feeling is something like I've already achieved it maybe because I knew that I would, or maybe that I knew that I would get to that point. It was just a matter of time when it was going to happen. Uh, and I think last year, you know, I, I wanted it to happen, but I, I don't think I was ready. I was still working on a new form change from the year of 21 to 2022. And then, uh, for the form change all of last year, learning to make it my own, I was dealing with some severe putting struggles last year. You don't want to look at those stats. You will not find <laughs> any sort of comfort in your stomach. Um, so I was working on some putting issues and then, yeah, it just, 
that I knew this year was going to be a good year going into it. And I'm like, my game feels better than ever. My putting feels better than ever. It's time to get to work. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm super thankful that it's paying off. And um, those numbers, they're sounding a lot better. So, do, yeah. Do you feel like you wanted a bigger moment, so to speak? Do you think that is because of the way the final round went down? I mean, you, it, you shot a phenomenal 14 under to finish that to final. No one had a chance to catch you. You didn't give people a chance. Everybody went in, not everybody, but most of us went in the round thinking he needs to shoot about a 10 down. That was kind of the number that was being thrown around. Um, and you just went out and put your foot down. You never looked back. You shot a 14 under par. And by the, I would, for us behind the scenes, by about the 13th hole, we assumed you had it wrapped up. We were, we were making graphics. We were doing all the things that we do for, to prep for winners. And as we know, anything can happen. You know, you, you, you could have thrown it seven times into the water on 17 or something. I don't know, but, um, it's just, do you think that it, because it wasn't so exciting that maybe the round, the, the emotion didn't hit you that you had time to let it sink in. Do you feel that maybe that's why you were looking for a bigger moment as opposed to winning on hole 18 with like a 32 foot putt over tie or something? (laughs) Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, my whole, one of the things that Eagle talked to me about before the round was that imagine the round is like armor or imagine your, your, the strokes that you have on the field is just like armor for you. Um, and you don't want to show cracks in that armor. And so that really he's like, you also need to find your flow. Um, so he encouraged me to take deep breaths. Three things Eagle told me to take deep breaths on every single shot. Don't let the armor crack and show, and then don't, um, and, uh, uh, make sure that you are, yeah, just pushing forward and holding that together. And so I, that was my goal the whole time. I think the stoic look on my face, the, the pure intensity that I was bringing to the round was just me saying, I have this armor and I'm not going to let it crack. And any little mistake that I made or any little bit of fortune that I got and thing that went my way, I made sure I was going to capitalize on it. Um, you know, people can say that I got lucky on a couple shots and I certainly did. I will stand by that. But for me, it's all about how you capitalize and things are going to go some people's way and some things are going to go other person's way. And that's just how the game of disc golf and the element hole works. It's about how you capitalize on it. And I'm, and that's something I'm really proud of is how I did capitalize on it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I just, sometimes I just don't, I don't know. And maybe it was just this expectation of thinking the moment would be bigger and it, and it wasn't. And maybe that's just the way it is, you know? Um, but at the same time, like I'm not sitting here disappointed that I won the tournament. <laughs> like, absolutely not. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to say is like, uh-huh. I am so ecstatic. Like I cannot <laughs> believe that I'm still, <laughs> like, I, no, I'm just like yawning. I, I cannot believe that every morning now I get to wake up and look at this trophy sitting on my dinette, you know, and the, and, and then that, that thing of like, you know, them announcing your name for the tournament being like legend open champion or, you know, whatever, or whatever they want to say, if, if that's mm-hmm. included, you know, that's just such an amazing honor and opportunity and thing to have uh, attached and associated to your name. But in, in all honesty, if I had to break it all down, the reason why it, it maybe didn't feel as big as it should is because that's not where that's not where my 
my worth and identity rests in my life is with the titles that I, that I have and accumulate. Um, and you know, I'm a man of faith of, for, for Jesus and God. And I think that's where my, my worth and rest lies is, is with him. And so, you know, the championships are just, are just a bonus. And, and, um, so yeah, I honestly, I'm just, I'm stoked and I'm happy and, and my success is other success as well. And, um, and you know, that moment was incredible and maybe more incredible. And I made a post today. I said, almost like the, the, the way I was embraced by all of my friends on tour was honestly more of an incredible feeling than it was actually winning the tournament. You know, just all of that love and support that we all want from people around us and in our lives, just to have all of that collapse on me in that single moment was honestly sometimes you could say a little bit more powerful than the win itself. So, yeah. Well, I want to go back a little bit earlier in the round, um, right around holes, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. Andrew Marweed on your card smashes an ace. Phenomenal. I mean, what, what a great moment. We're all excited in the booth. Everybody's giving high fives on the card. We're just like, Oh, this is great. This is great. And suddenly you hear an eruption of ways away. And there's no way for us to hide it in the control room. Like we like to try to sneak things in like, Hey, pretend like nobody knows what's going on. You can't do that with an ACE nearby. Did you know that was, did it get word back to you that it was Kelvin? And did you, at that point you're thinking he's your competition. You just drop down an ace. You get up to that hole and take a three. I immediately said, that's a two stroke swing. Like at that point it was still, there was still a chance you weren't going to win. How are you feeling at that moment? Were you, were you scared that Calvin was going to run you down? Um, yeah. I mean, the whole time I was scared that Rick was going to run me down. You know, Rick (laughs) is one of the fiercest players, you know, coming out from behind you down into a deficit, you know, warming up with him in, in the, in the warmup area was like, this dude is like, I don't know. This dude looks like he's about to, you know, he can get pretty intense. You know, yeah, he's an intense player. And, and, you know, um, and so maybe I'm being too open about all this stuff, you know, no, no, this is great. Um, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely knew that, you know, especially with five players being an 18 under and only four back that anything was happening. One of the, at least one of those players, was going to give me a run for my money and going to make that push for the lead. I didn't know who it was going to be, but I was pretty certain that it was going to be probably in the order of Calvin Heimberg, Ricky Wysocki, Ezra, you know, from that list down, like it was going to be those guys. And um, so from the round started, I wasn't thinking playing safe at all. I was thinking stick to my game plan and get some more birdies today because that's what it's going to take to win the tournament. Um, And so, yeah, by that point, I was so focused on doing what I was doing. I think I was like six down through seven at that point. So I wasn't super worried about anybody else because I was trying to be in my flow state and my element. Um, but as soon as we did hear that eruption, um, I was definitely, I still did not check UDISC. I was like, you're not going to check UDISC. You're going to hear from somebody else what happened uh, <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want to see where everybody was at. Um, and I heard somebody in the crowd be like, Calvin Heimberg on whole 10. And I was like, whoa. Calvin just ace hole 10. Like that's, that's an incredible ace. Um, and at that point I'm like, if a Calvin ace, like it honestly wouldn't surprise me if he's shredding. So then at that point, my mind instantly went to pretend you have a four stroke lead right now. Still pretend you haven't gained anything else on the field, even though you're shredding yourself and just keep doing what you're doing. 
And so that's all, that's all my mind went to. It wasn't to, Oh, you've, you've lost a little bit of your lead because Calvin's beating you. And like, no, it was just all, it was just all about staying in my element and continuing to pressing forward. And at the end of the day, I could have been like, I also thought too, I'm like, well, who knows? Maybe he was only like two under and then he got an ace and then he got, mm-hmm. then he only got to four under, you know? So it's like the ace is cool, but if I haven't seen the scoreboard, it means nothing to me yet. So. Yeah. yeah and and uh, I would say that makes sense. And I know a lot of times I, I tend to scold players who don't look at the, the UDIS scores. I'm like, you kind of have to know, especially going into the back nine, if you need to sure. push or not, you are one of the rare instances I, I I'm looking and I say, there's no reason to look at your scorecard. When you, when you've birdied, uh, all yeah. but two of the front 10, there's nothing more you can do. It's yeah. not like you can push harder. You can't, yeah. there's, there's no decisions to be made. So right. one of the few instances right. where I, where I tell, where I say, all right, I guess look, not looking at you disc, not knowing your score is totally fine because you're already birdieing everything and you're not so much worried. If, if someone is catching you and you're doing that, then we're probably they deserve to win. They deserve to win. I mean, if, right. if, yeah. if 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you can yep. do. And, and that makes perfect sense. And I just real quick want to go back to the thought of, you know, as you readily admit, you got a break or two. Every, every champion does right at every tournament. There's at one point where a disc stops or hits and rolls or doesn't roll or rolls, you know, more than it should or gets an extra skip or whatever the case might be. And I think anyone is, is you know, delusional if they think that doesn't happen. It, it, it may or may not happen during the final round, mm-hmm. but somebody is always you. When we have so many good players, sometimes a little extra luck or just something that happens to go your way, uh, can be, uh, it, it's inevitable. And, and in, I think anyone that wants to dismiss any of the accomplishment, it's not like you threw nine terrible tee shots and just miraculously, you know, you right. birdied eight of the yeah. holes. I mean, sometimes yeah. you get an extra inch or two or, a, or an extra little, you know, kick or whatever. That's one thing, but it's not like you're out there just yeah. spraying shots around. And I think anyone that plays right. Northwood black enough, whether two, three, four times, you're going to see it level out your good kicks are going to be followed up by bad kicks. Like, yeah. I mean, and if you can make it through Northwood without kicks, hallelujah to you, but <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not usually I'll, happening. I'll give I'll give you a little example. So I was on hole 13 and that was a super slick tee pad that day three. And mm-hmm. me and Ezra both slipped. He yanked his right. I like, I yanked mine earlier. I didn't yank it by that. I early released it left. Right. Um, and so I was way left of the gap. My disc gets through literally every tree to where I have this super nice backhand turnover to the green. Mm-hmm. His shot kicks right straight into the bushes. Um, and you know, that's just the way two of those shots went. I did end up yep. capitalizing, getting up for birdie on 13, mm-hmm. but then my very next tee shot on 14, it was early release, but it gets a tree kick and kicks straight left. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on 15, I end up hitting a tree on the right and it ends up rolling all the way across the fairway out of bounds. So yes, there were times where I got really fortunate, but also the course did take it back and did send me out of bounds. Yeah, so, those are just some of the yeah, laws exactly of averages. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, another, we'll say, statistical note: I was standing there after everything was said and done, and you've signed some autographs, and there's a few people just kind of meandering around at the very end of the night, and you're sitting there hanging out near the the autograph tent. And someone says to you, hey, nice work. That was rated, I think at the time they said 1094, 1094, 1093, whatever. And you said, oh, wow, was it really? That's the first I've heard of it. Or that's the first you had heard what the official, unofficial rating was. 
just yeah. react to that and and what it does or doesn't mean to have now a 1093 yeah. the second it's, highest rated round of the season it's actually 1096 now and now now that ratings were right. officially updated yeah. today 1096 so just react yeah. to that what does that mean to you I mean, honestly, you know, I, you know, I mean, I'm just super disappointed. It didn't get to that 1100 rate. You know? <laughs> okay. like, yeah. Just, yeah. You're I, writing a petition letter to the ra- ratings committee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I am absolutely, I am absolutely fired up. I did not think that it was even going to get to the 1090s. Um, mm. Maybe that's just because I felt so robbed about my nine under at Northwoods being 1065. I don't know what that was about, but it was okay. terrible. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. If anything, my nine down at Northwood was more impressive than that 14 under at Eureka. Uh, okay, just because sure. Eureka actually, the Eureka shots are a little more predictable than all the trees at Northwood, but that's arguable. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely am super stoked about having a 1090 under my belt. And, you know, ratings are ratings. Of course, they're going to rate differently, but definitely super cool. And honestly, to, to, to just like, uh, again, like, I just feel like it would be blowing my mind as much as it was blowing other people's um, about just the, the massiveness of that moment of my first time leading a tournament and then just busting out the greatest round I've thrown in a <laughs> long time, um, you know, just to close it out. Like that's just, it's just unreal. Um, and so, yeah, I, once I heard that I was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Um, I didn't, I don't think I'd even shot a 1080 at that point. I think my preserve 15 under officially was 1081, but I didn't know it yet. I think mm. when I, when I last saw it, it was only like 1078. So I figured, I thought my, my best was still in the 1070s. Um, but yeah, no, it's, that's super awesome. I'm super stoked to have a 1096 and, you know, really wish I could have birdied the 18th to get to that 1100. <laughs> but at the same time, can't complain. When you're winning the tournament. So. Uh, no, no. At the end of the day, the W is what matters. And, and I, I know I, I also brought up your caddy as, uh, you know, he had said right after whole 18's tee shot, you know, he said, Cole, I'm so proud of you is what I heard him say. And it was just a moment. But I got to admit, in all honesty, I, I don't know who that is. So can you elaborate on, on your caddy, the, the relationship and what yeah. that meant to you? Yeah, I... I feel really bad because I didn't shout him out in my interviews or anything like that. I didn't say like, Oh, thanks so much. My caddy. Like I feel awful. Um, but so just to let the people know, I did really much appreciate my caddy and he did phenomenal on the bag all week. Um, his name is Eben with a B E B E N Eben, um, Eben Eddie. And he, um, he is a, chaplain for uh, eagles wings disc golf and he tours he goes he comes out on tour um and teaches at our chapel services and uh that week was the week that he was walking with me he walks with the eagles wings players um you know each and every event as different one at at different events and that that was my event for him at at ledgestone and round one i was like i was like i don't know if i want you to carry the bag so i'm just gonna carry the bag and then if i end up wanting if i end up letting you carry the bag then we'll see um and I birdied, I birdied one the first round, birdied two the first round, birdied three the first round, and then I threw a bad shot on hole four, and I said, all right, you can carry the bag for the rest of the round. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then, so he carried the bag the rest of the round, and ended up closing out pretty decent, and then Northwood, the next day uh, for round two, I was like, okay, I'm going to carry the bag again unless I want you to. And it's it's different for me, like, 
I don't usually like a caddy unless I'm going to have them from start to finish of the tournament mm-hmm. or not at all. You know, like it's, it's, uh, I think I want, I want consistency in my rounds and who's going to be there and what's going to be influencing it. Um, and he told me he was going to be there through Sunday. So it was, it was good that I knew that he was going to be there for that final day. So we get halfway through hole one, the second day, I end up giving him my bag again. And I'm being like, <laughs> okay, just carry it. Like you can wear, you're wearing my caddy bib, but you yeah. got nothing on your back. And then this is awkward. So just throw my bag on and let's, do, let's play some disc golf. Um, so yeah, it was great. And he was just super encouraging. And, um, you know, I've been, I mean, he won't, he won't be offended by this. He's not very good um, at the game of disc golf. And so, but I gave him a lot of forum tips, a lot of forum tips. Uh, and um, yeah, he was just, he was just amazing. Honestly, sometimes it's better to have that person to maybe not have input or advice on your shot, but maybe mm-hmm. just bounce thoughts off of. And so um, whenever I had a bad shot, I'd walk up to him and be like, yeah, I just, I, I did this thing wrong and I just, I'll improve on that next time. Um, and that was a huge part of my mental space, my mental space and, and composure was about identifying what went wrong and how I'm going to change it. I think it's so, I think it's just so unprofessional when somebody's just, they feel so victim to a situation when I believe bad luck is the result of a bad shot in the first place. Uh, there's of course cases where, you know, a great shot can get unlucky and you know, mm-hmm. I'll stand by that. But most times if you get bad luck, yeah, it's because a little early release or a little late release that didn't go right down the middle. So um, it was it was kind of cool to just tell him and just be like, yeah, just just didn't quite, you know, stand up the shoulders enough. And that didn't quite get over that disc enough, didn't quite, you know, throw it hard enough. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, totally makes sense. All right. Awesome. You know, and, and he didn't say like, all right, well, let's get he he, he wasn't he wasn't like, um, all right, well, how about we just birdie the next three holes? You know, because that's thinking too far ahead. You never sure. said anything like that. You never threw anything off my rhythm. It was just positive reinforcement for what I was saying. And, um, it was just, it was just awesome. And then, you know, him being a, a chaplain for our, our group with Eagles wings, we did, we just, uh, shared a lot of good moments of prayer together as well during, during the round and before and after. So yeah, it was just, it was just a really good, uh, opportunity for, for us to connect and be in that moment together. So yeah. Well, it sounds like he was essentially, uh, absorbing and was a you know, almost a sounding board for him just to take it all in. And that's, that's your style. And, and something I didn't, I wanted to mention at some point, especially during round one, this is kind of a tangent, but not. I I watched the interaction with Paul McBeth and Alexis Mundahano. Paul walks up. He says he's going to caddy for Alexis first round FPO. Uh, they were at Northwood. Paul walks up and, and they've known each other for years, but he says, okay, well, how, how do you want this to go? Do you want me just to carry the bag? Do you want any, you know, anything mm-hmm. back from me or whatever? She goes, no, just carry the bag. He's like, all right, I'll shut up. And he put the bag on and like, it, it is important as you just described, it is important to, to know what you want and what you're going to get out of a caddy. Cause we all know that can be the worst thing in the world is a caddy that just doesn't shut up, uh, that may be giving you unsolicited advice or, you know, becomes a distraction more than an actual help to you. And, and I just think people need to be very open and frank, like right off the bat, you know, whole one or even before that, like, here's how it's going to go. And it sounds like you guys had that relationship pretty, pretty quickly figured out, which is, which is yep. again, a help in every way. I definitely, I definitely told him what I, I, I wanted to hear and what I didn't want to hear. So, yeah. 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 Set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. I, nobody, if mm-hmm. you're there truly to, to mm-hmm. befriend and, or to be an assistance 
to any player, no matter if they're better or worse than you, like set those expectations, have those uh, right off the bat. And I think it'll be a much better experience for everyone. There's far too many caddies and I hear them. And if they're annoying me, I just can only imagine what they're doing to the player uh, when they're going on and on. Oh, yesterday I did this. Like, we don't care. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I will say, if you were ever caddy for somebody, do not talk about yourself. Yeah. Please do not yeah. talk about yourself. Yeah. It is their moment. They're there to help them. Thank you. That's my TED Talk. I, I uh, very much uh, agree and can appreciate that. Uh, it, it, I, it's a staple question of mine. Any Anything... And and I think you might have a different answer. So, is there anything out of the ordinary that, when we look at your schedule, we look at your tour life, and somebody like, huh, or what? Like, is there anything that, as a as an avid fan or follower, when someone looks at your schedule or thinks about how you close out the season, is there anything abnormal there, or is everything what we would expect? What's what's your rest of your year look like? Rest of my years, follow the tour all the way through, play the championship, play the USDGC, all the playoffs, um, playing here in Idlewild. Um, yeah, nothing too special. No, yeah, I'm playing MV- MVP and Worlds. And, yep, uh, I'm not playing the Silver Series in New York. That is something I will be skipping okay. uh, for uh, a week off before Worlds. I'll be doing some extra work for the World Championship. Uh, just not enough time to practice for the world championship. If I went to play that one, mm-hmm. uh, I also have some family in New York. I think I'm going to stay with for a little while, which would be really nice. Cool. Um, but yep. Closing out the season as expected. I know some people were wondering why I did not go to Europe this year. Um, Europe was, was just not on the schedule and mainly, you know, my first year on the road by myself, just didn't really want to push it too much. And, and, you know, just, uh, just financially wasn't quite there as well mm-hmm. um, as a lot of players, you know, are also in that boat, you know, the money's getting bigger in the sport, but you know, we also, we, we all got to grow with it as well and do what's smart for us. And um, so yeah, that's, and, and, and also my job, I think as a human being is to not put myself in like jeopardizing situations and spread money too thin. And so, yeah, I think next year is definitely for sure. I'm going to make it a priority. Yeah. Now uh, thank you for all of that. My follow-up to it would be, I feel like at one point I heard you say that you're, I'll say, more comfortable than others at taking a weekend off or possibly not going to every single event in and out, like, you know, just every single event on the grind. Am I thinking of you saying that or am I, am I maybe confusing you with hearing another young touring pro or pro say that? Absolutely. I mean, um, I will never miss an elite series. I'll tell you that. Like okay. that, like the points, the points is too big at an elite series. You know, it is your job at the end of the day. It is your job. You're out here doing it. And, um, you know, I think, I think, I think breaks for like three or four tournaments in the middle of the year. If that, if that works for you, then great. If you can do it, then great. But honestly, I think for, from a brand standpoint, from a sponsor standpoint, from a fan standpoint of, you know, who knows, maybe there's, you know, five people of that tournament that saved up to get this ticket and, you know, were able to go, go watch this tournament and, Oh, I'm not showing up. I'm not because I I feel like I want to break. Um, you know, I think, I think silver events are a little bit of an exception. They're smaller. 
Um, the points aren't too high there, so mm -hmm. I feel okay with skipping on those, especially if they've had a couple elites in a row and it's just and I have a good place to go. Um, I will definitely play an elite series if I like. I'm like, what else am I going to do this week? I'm definitely just going to play it. Um, I did skip out on Missoula in Montana to spend an extra week at home because I was already at home for the Portland swing. I also okay. did not go to Shelton in Washington and play that Silver Series because, again, I was home. So there's little things like that where I'm like, yeah, I'm home. I'm going to stay home for an extra week. And there's not much to there's not too much on the line um, like a Silver Series that I'm missing out on. So I'll wait and just play the elite tournaments. So, yeah, I'll definitely play the elite tournaments. I want to treat it like a job. It is a job. Um, and, you know, it's my passion and my love. But secondly, and most importantly, it is my job. And I have ambitions of, you know, providing for maybe a family one day and you know i want to i want to i want to take it seriously so yeah okay uh final question along those lines and in terms of the tour before we wrap up with you this weekend moved you up seven spots into 11th in the tour standings how does 11th in the disc golf pro tour standings how does that sound to you uh, way better than I expected at the, at the beginning of the year. I think begin, beginning of the year, I was hoping for top 25, I think was my goal. Um, and I've been hovering around that 20 to 10th mark or like 15th to 20th mark, you know, some, mm -hmm. I just been kind of hovering there for a little while. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely nice to come out on top and push that, push that a little bit further up the leaderboard. Um, and sometimes you just gotta, I, I've told this to some of my friends, like, even when you're having a bad round, sometimes you have to take a step back and look at where you actually are on the leaderboard. Uh, and um, like, I remember at mid America open, I just wasn't playing well that final round. I'm like, hold up. Where are we on the leaderboard? I'm like sixth place. I'm like, okay, cool. You get three more birdies. You're back into third. So how about we get, we get, we get going, you know? So it's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think the same thing is about that in tour points. Like, Oh man, I've had a couple bad events this year. is such a waste. So like, hold up. I'm still in 18th place in tour points. I need to, you know, kick it into gear, get a couple of good events going, you know? Um, and so that's, that's for me, that's just, that's awesome. It's music to my ears. feels so much better than last year. Last year, I barely missed the tour championship in the play in. And this year I'm like, I better be well in that thing. And honestly, to be in a position to be able to play for some more for some buys is honestly super fun for me because I was just purely wanting to make the tour championship. Um, and uh, I'd like to keep my goals kind of kind of like my expectations kind of low um, just so that I can exceed them uh, very pretty easily. Um, but I also want them to be realistic. You know, I don't want to just be like, all right, I hope I can, you know, just have a better year than last year. You know, I'm actually I'm going to set goals for myself. But, um, yeah, it definitely feels good to be in 11th right now. And then I also saw the world rankings went up and I bumped into eighth <laughs> place. I don't know how that. I don't know how that is very relevant, but I am pretty stoked about that one as well. <laughs> you ranked number one on our Smashbox interviews for Tuesday night, August 8th as well. So uh, <laughs> the rankings, 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 ratings, standings, uh, uh, we're happy to see you go up. They, it's just, uh, it's There's a lot of different rankings that people look at and determine. <laughs> um, yep. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I have to ask, we're going to talk a little bit more about discs before you go here. And it's our job as podcasters to put pressure on your manufacturer. Are we going to see a special run coal disc for the Ledgestone win? Is DGA going to do something special for your huge victory? Some commemorative something or other. I will say right now we have a 20% off sale going on for DGA discs as far as my signature tour series disc goes for this year. Um, and then a couple other molds that I throw in my bag. So go check out, out um, discgolf.com slash coal uh, and grab yourself some new DGA discs to try. And then, yes, we are going to work on something special to come out with. Uh, and uh, I we don't I don't have many details on that. I haven't talked too much about it, but pretty sure something is going to be in the works. And uh, I'm excited to see how it comes. So. Yeah. Yep, we do have some people from DGA on the board. They're obviously West Coasters, so it's a little earlier for them. And we know it's getting late for you. So if you could maybe run through your sponsors, thank whoever you need to thank before we uh, before we let you go tonight. And how people can follow and support and you, support you, social yeah. medias, all that stuff. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I just uh, thanks so much to DGA Disc Golf. I'm thrilled with the year that we've already had. They've supported me so well this year. So. Um, I have no, nothing but amazing good things to say about them. They've been super easy to work with, super kind people. Um, I love that they're on the West Coast, same time zone as me. You know, that really <laughs> helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, just I really encourage you guys to support DGA, a company that has my best, my best interests in their pocket uh, as well as mine for theirs. So um, thank you, DGA, so much uh, for this year. And then, um, yeah, Oregon Sports and Family Chiropractic. My chiropractor back home has been with me since day one. Uh, Brandon does amazing work. So if you're ever in the area of Newburgh, go check out his office. He does also things like functional strength training and massage and acupuncture and all of these other things uh, that can help you be better for yourself. Um, I love Pound Disc Golf. Uh, coming out with Signature Rufuses uh, soon, as far as next week, maybe a week after. Um, the Rufus bag is super nice and light. If you look on coverage, we'll look at it. That colorway that I'm bagging right now is my signature colorway. So those will be the colors that are coming out, um, as well as both sides zip down. If any of you are familiar with the Rufus bag, only one side usually zips down with mine, both sides zip down. So if, if you're, um, <clears throat> if you like symmetrical things like me, then you'll be excited <laughs> for this bag. Um, <clears throat> which I do OTB discs. <laughs> OTB Discs for the retail sponsor. They have a great support for me this year. Also, we just did a run of the Corridon Tsunami in the PL plastic. So please go check those out at otbdiscs.com. I'm loving that disc so much. Uh, it's a great control distance driver. Um, and then last but not least, Eagles Wings Disc Golf um, for the amazing community and support on the road uh, and just uh, my belief in Jesus. So, yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, uh, and I know uh, uh, Brandon as well. Got to maybe share a meal or two and a few beverages up there when I was uh, last time I was uh, in the Bend area. And what a great guy. He's always been so awesome to talk to uh, as he's every time I've been around him, your name comes up and obviously always in the highest regard. And uh, I'm sure he's just him and his entire practice and family. Uh, and everyone else in Oregon just kind of glowing right now and, and grinning from you, ear to ear. I do, have, 
I do have something else to say. We had a little thing going this year. He has this nice coffee machine at his office. And every time I go do a workout, after my workout, I get to go have a cup of coffee. And he said that if you win an Elite Series victory this year, I will buy you one of these coffee machines. And that has been weighing over my head all year. (laughs) And I thought about it before the last round. I'm like, I don't care about the money. I care about winning this coffee machine here and today. And I, as soon as I tapped out, um, yeah, it was awesome. We got it ordered. I'm super pumped about it. And uh, Brandon is um, amazing and got me the coffee machine. So wow, yeah, awesome! It. You and Mario can enjoy a cup. That's what what he needs—a little extra energy. Uh, Cole, you know, I I know we've been gushing on you, uh, but it's all heartfelt, and we we just genuinely appreciate. Uh, the sincerity, the maturity, everything that you've given us here tonight. Obviously, I know your card mates and the rest of Disc Golf and all of your sponsors and your parents certainly appreciate everything that you're putting out into the world. I don't know how somebody can't be. I don't know if there's any uh, Cole haters. They're just silly if they are. So uh, we appreciate everything you're putting out there. We are are so just enamored and, and proud, and, and uh, it's exciting to see. Nate Doss and I have obviously talked about you. Uh, you and Ty and and everything else that's going on and the success that you guys have had and then watching you lead up into this last weekend uh, as I said it wasn't a matter of if it was just a matter of when and it was awesome to see this weekend so with that I think we're going to let you go we appreciate you joining us here tonight we know that you've been very busy with all these extra uh, interviews and obligations (laughs) in the media but that, that comes with the territory when you're a winner at that level. And this weekend, I look forward. I'll be down the in Kentucky in just a few days to see you. And I'm sure we'll be talking about you some more. And everyone's going to keep their eye on you. So thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Of course, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, it's it's a it's a surreal feeling. Um, something I've always I've always dreamed of for sure my whole life. And you know, just all the encouragement and kind words. Um, you know, whether it's about maturity in my game anything like that um, i'm just super grateful and thankful for anybody out there who supports me and you guys thank you terry for having me on here um really awesome great interview guys i love those questions and you know i want to share i want to share my journey with the world too so um yeah thanks well we appreciate it one last time congratulations to you cole on winning the ledgestone open we'll see you in a couple days down there in kentucky be safe and uh we'll see you soon have a good night Thanks, Cole. Thanks, guys. I'm starting to come around on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did something win you over there? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, he's all right. He's all right. I mean, being young and good at disc golf and smart and well-spoken. Those are all, I mean, eh. I, ah, but now he's got coffee machine, which you don't drink. I don't but, drink coffee. So but, uh, maybe he'll make up. He could probably, I did see him on up. social media, take a big drink of Dr. Pepper out of the trophy. Mm, and yeah, I can respect a, that. I like me some Dr. Was, Pepper. Somebody was saying that that's what he should fill it up with. So, wow. Awesome. Thank you to all of our uh, smashies out there who have been tuning in a, a, a solid mm-hmm. audience here and hope, Everyone, of course, in the aftermath of uh, listening to it via audio later on. Hope you guys enjoyed that time with Cole. And again, we moved it up. He, I, I had said, hey, we're at 9 o'clock Central. That's 10 o'clock on the East Coast. And yes, we've had you know starts that late with other East Coast guests and uh, or Eastern Time Zone guests. And uh, 
I could respect and understand certainly that he he's on a routine, he's on a regimen. He, he wants takes to get it seriously, going. which and is good to see. Takes everything, yes, very seriously. So. At eighteen, you and I would not have. <laughs> At eighteen, you and I were doing different things. <laughs> we were playing disc golf, but not like that. No, well, no one's playing disc golf like that these no. days. Uh, no, I, I had. I mean, no surprise throughout the season. I'd called him the streakiest player on tour. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because we had seen him together. Birdies like no one else. He, he strung them. He would string them together like six, seven, eight, nine in a row and then put them in groups. The, his problem always was doing it consistently for multiple rounds. He would have one of those phenomenal rounds and then follow it up with like a 10, 10 or a 10, 15 rated round. He, Got it done this weekend. Every single round. I mean, he started out the first round. He was down by two strokes to uh, Ezra and Calvin, I believe. Yeah, it was Ezra and Calvin were at 12, and he was at 10. But he just... Oh, there were a few 11s as well. Dickerson and Proctor were at 11s. But after that, it was just... He just kept it moving. Shooting a nine down at Northwood. Following up with then uh, a three down at Northwood, which in... Different conditions, but yeah. still a a very good. Well, I think only five or six was hot round. Yeah, that, Casey that White round. and Ricky Wysocki both shot fives, and then that put him in position to be up by four, four strokes going into that final round. And like he said, that has to be so intimidating, knowing you're up a couple strokes and watching Ricky Wysocki probably drain fifty footing fifty foot putts in the practice green like they're nothing because we've all seen him do it. Yeah. Sit in the practice green and just drain putts that has to be intimidating and he handled it with phenomenal grace other than falling down one time on the (laughs) (laughs) we can forgive him for that but what a what a great kid what a what a great story and he's going to be a like a lot of our young guys a force to be reckoned with for the next 10 years yeah and without cheating i swear i'm going to guess i think ezra robinson excuse me, Ezra Aderhold, actually, I think might hold the most birdies on the tour. If Cole's not second or third, and I have not looked yet, Mm. I just know Ezra was holding that stat down for a while. Mm. If Cole's not second or third, I would be shocked. So I'm going to click a little over. I think he's up there, but disagree with me. I'm going to disagree just because he birdie count a birdie count just because those, those streaky rounds he's had, he has an occasional round where he just doesn't, Perform. I think it's probably Ezra, Vinny. Yeah, Vinny. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I skipped the tour leader. Yeah, you skipped the tour leader. All right, all right. So, so. you don't have to go any farther. All right. Uh, he is 13th in birdie percentage. Yeah. He's still did, impressive. Oh, 100%. He just has those rounds. of the holes he's played, he has birdied. Uh, I just think of when there's times, I think of a Texas yeah. earlier in the year, where it's like, Oh, here's 12 birdies out of 13 holes. Or here's a course six. record. Yeah, He exactly. just shoots them. Like, he'll just walk up after, you know, he'll be in 15th or 17th place. Hey, guess what? Cole shot a course record, which isn't surprising anymore. And now he's in sixth. That is the story. Yeah. That was the story of Cole up until this event. And to see him get over that. Now, maybe this is a, a consistency he's found because it's not like he did it on a specific style of course. This and... Uh, GMC are probably the two events that have like the the best variety of courses because you've got more of an open course and a and a wooded course at both events. So you have to look at that and think he's got to be one of your favorites for worlds. He's got to be up there in that maybe top five picks for worlds based on how he's performed here 
at this variety of course. Well, congratulations on a phenomenal performance. We'll talk about the other remaining competitors that weren't winners. The losers. Uh, yeah, that's another way to word it. And yes, Cole has birdie just to, to put a, a, a final point on that. Uh, 404 out of the 914 holes this year. That's 44.2%. I don't know if Statmando is out there right now, or if you're out there, Statmando. I would like to know who has the high number of hot rounds that mm-hmm. I could see him having um, up being up there. Um, yeah. Who has the high number of hot rounds? It's gotta be Calvin. I feel and like then, that. Uh, I feel like that stat was actually just posted. On it it might've been, I didn't look, but let's talk about some of our non winners. Uh, Calvin Heimberg takes second place shooting a great, a 13 under par at Eureka with an ACE and lost ground to our winner. Um, there's nothing, there's no shame to be had from Vinny this week. Um, sometimes you lose, sometimes you get beat. Vinny got beat. And some, Billy, sometimes when you win, you lose. <laughs> when you win, you lose. Uh, Billy, <laughs> you lost all our effing money. Billy. <laughs> white men can't, do you know they remade White Men Can't Jump? There's a new version of it, and I haven't seen it, but all I, uh, I, there's, there's no way that's worth watching. It can't be. All right. But, anyway, go on. Go um, on. In third place, Ricky Wysocki at 28 under par. In fourth place, honestly, as much as I, I respected watching Cole, the person I felt I was most impressed with this weekend, Ezra Robinson, because there were multiple times that I felt that he was out of crack and out of it like just, just like oh man like that guy he had such a great tournament going and then you know the third round when he takes a seven on hole two and then you're like yeah. okay then he fights back and gets you know what uh one two three four five out of seven and you're like oh wow how worse he got himself pulled himself back into the event and then the back half the round he takes a single a double a double in a row and then again you're thinking like meh bummer you know he's still like you know poor guy mm-hmm he turns around and he gets two out of the last three and then goes into the final round and shoots a phenomenal round. Just he, you can see that he's still struggling with a little bit of putting. Some of his short putts came up short, which they should, if you're throwing short putts, they shouldn't come up short. Um, and he had a little bit of control issue here and there at Northwood, but um Honestly, I was really impressed with Ezra Robinson this week, just how he fought back multiple times when I kind of almost counted him out. Hands down, the best brother combo we've seen on tour, Ezra and Isaac. I mean, there's been other talks about, you know, the Ulibari brothers. Um, Pete has never really been on tour. He's a great player, but right now, the way Ezra and Isaac are playing, it hasn't been since probably when we were younger in the Martin brothers mm-hmm. that a, 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 a duo like this has been Don't this overlook good. the Lissamans, the Lissamans as well, but that's going to go back into the, we're, again, we're going 90s. back into the, you know, okay. uh, but we'll give that anyway. Um, in fifth place, another DGA sponsored player, Andrew Marweed, and we are not sponsored by DGA, but if they want to send us free stuff, we're always here. Yeah. We're um, shills. We're shills. We're sellouts. Sixth place, Simon Lazad, who just in general had a pretty good weekend. A good, such good putting watching Simon this week. I love watching Simon putt. Uh, his really good friend in seventh place, Casey White. 
uh, lose the mustache in eighth place. <laughs> Chris Dickerson in ninth place. James Proctor in 10th place. Adam Hammes. So congratulations to your top 10 in the MPO field. And we do you have anything more you want to say about MPO at all before we move over to FPO? Uh, I don't I don't know if there's anything that else needs to be said. I mean, seeing Casey White, uh, I feel like have the weekend that he did overall. Uh, certainly was impressive that uh, I don't know how many people had him picked necessarily. I guess there's ways you could go out and look for that, whether that's, excuse me, a program like skipace.com for all your fantasy disc golf needs. All of them. Or if you, you know, look at like the grip six picks, Casey, I, there's maybe a side story about some of the uh, evening shenanigans, but Casey White, not necessarily a guy you were like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm I'm putting him in my top five. Or no, my top not ten. at all. And that's no disrespect to Casey. I don't know if Casey puts himself necessarily there. So to see him have the weekend that he did was great to see. I love Casey. Uh, got time with him off the course and uh, even on the course. Heck, you, maybe as a quick side note, we always talk about, you know, I'm sure at home you're yelling at your TV when you're saying, oh, you shouldn't be talking to the players during the round or this should happen or this shouldn't happen or the walk and talks, whatever. We were in the backup on hole number 12, which is no surprise to anyone. There was about to, there was yeah, a I, huge backup. I got a take on that later. Was that round two or three? I think that was, it doesn't matter. We're in the backup and it was at that point, I'm looking around and my producers in the ear, in my ear saying, hey, uh, is there someone we could talk to? You know, do you want to talk? And he named off a few of the players. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to ask them. No, I just, I know their personality. Mm-hmm. Mid round is not the time to have a conversation with some of them. And then I saw Casey standing like Casey, Casey, <laughs> Casey would love to probably talk to Casey's just very easygoing in that sense. And that's something that I knew wouldn't frustrate or sure. upset or distract him. Of course. Then I walked up to him though beforehand. I said, Hey, if we have time to do a little, you know, segment here during the backup, would you want to talk live with me? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I finished the <laughs> sentence. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to, which is awesome. That's why yeah. I asked him. Casey's and, like Germ used to be. Germ was always the same way back in the day. Yeah, he, some players he like just to, love to just love to talk and communicate and and maybe take their mind off the golf. Yeah, some players like that and embrace that more than others. Mm-hmm. And being around a lot of these players for a lot of years, I generally have a pretty good idea. And so then I reported it back in. I said, hey, we can talk to Casey. And then we ended up having Casey. Anyway, so just if you're at home screaming, oh. saying, because I'm sure there were. I, I guarantee there are you people, there but, were people but you know what? that are no, screaming about that. And I'm just giving you the full story. No one is ever forced to be on how, camera. How how that came about. So uh, it was it was great. And um, so anyway, nice work, Casey. Uh, with all that being said, no, slide on right on over to the FPO. Before we do that, and I oh, promise geez. I'll get there. Um, Evan Kearns from Statmando oh, yes. chimes in. Uh, by the way, I have an Evan Kearns card from yeah. Brixton. It's not signed, but it's for sale. I will not take less than $300 for it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's a steal, probably. No, it's here. But take, uh, uh, here's my 400 the number. I, I won't let <laughs> I won't take it from you without giving you at least 400. Oh, geez. Um, OK, uh, Evan Kearns says. Hot rounds this season. Calvin with seven. Gannon Burr with six. Isaac Robinson and Cole Riddallen at five. So he is okay. in third He's right place. There in that He's right there with those hot rounds. No, no surprise. And then Ricky and Aaron for so on and so on and so on. Um, congratulations. Thank you, Evan, for getting us that information. Um, it's much appreciated. Let's talk about the FPO. Um, 
Missy Gannon wins this by four strokes over own Scoggins. Missy just very consistent the entire event. Uh, there was at one point own as well kind of had that uh, that comeback as well. She had fallen down into like fifth or sixth place at one point and then fought herself back on the back nine of Northwood where she birdied two, three, four, five, six out of the last nine holes or six. I'm sorry, six out of the last 10 holes. She did have a bogey in there, but in order to push herself back up to get to four under that round and, and get into that second place of where she's been very consistent and she probably had, if you get the chance to watch tournament central on, I believe it's the third day they do an, an own interview. Maybe it's even the final day. Go back and watch that after FPO. And she, I mean, in general, she gives the best interviews, but mm-hmm. it was, it was hilarious. Just her thanking Kristen Tatar for not being there and just, just own being own. And I would really love to see, we've got Idlewild and D glow coming up in the next two to three weeks. I would love to see own get a elite series win at one of those two. And she, and she's very capable. Yeah. Um, but it just it's just that much easier when Kristen Tatar isn't in the field. So um ultimately Missy Gannon, like I said, wins this over own Scoggins. And then in third place, Sarah Hokum. Now we're getting to places this is our, you know, now that we're on the East Coast, Terry, mm, you know, yeah, yeah. everything from Peoria uh, uh, over. Yep. <laughs> um now that we're uh, getting towards our East Coast swing, Sarah Hokum, as always, every year starts showing up in our leaderboards more and more frequently. She is a technician in the woods. She can shape shots like almost better than anybody in the field, especially with a forehand. So Sarah Hokum ties with Ella Hansen in third place. In fifth place, uh, Maria Oliva, Macy Valadiez. In seventh place, Holland Hanley. Eighth place, Holly Finley. Ninth place, Jen Allen. And Tie for 10th between Alexis Mondahano and Haley King. That is your top 10 plus in the FPO field. Again, just as in general, Missy plays very comfortably here. She has done well. This is her consecutive second consecutive win here. I don't know what else to say other than she's really good and she's a great putter. Yeah. And I feel like she put it on display every single round mm-hmm. she did. this weekend. I remember so many times, uh, if you haven't noticed, often I will be out there watching a drive, kind of waiting to see if there's anything to talk about with regards to the drive or a lie. And then at some point I, I start to walk away to get ahead uh, to the next hole, just like a catch cameraman would do. So I'm looking at where she landed and thinking about, wow, is that a makeable putt? You know, what's probably, and then I hear Ian and Zoe still in my ear and, and, or I could check you disc and I hear, and it just felt like every time I walked away, I, I eventually got to the point where I was like, Oh, well, I'm not even going to, I don't even need to wonder <laughs> hang around and watch. She's going to make it. And we've, again, we talk all the time about how good of a putter she is. And that's, yeah. that's nothing new this weekend. It felt like it was just there uh, through and through, which was awesome. And the other quick side note to that. And I know you just talked about Sarah Holcomb's and uh, prowess and what she normally does in the more technical courses. I was shocked to hear in my ear at one point this weekend, Ian and Zoe talking about this is Sarah's first podium finish in a year, which I, I mean, I know if that's you've a- been around for a little while, you just know, yeah, like that sounds surprising that 
it's true. And we know I know how competitive FPO is. I've watched it for the last 15 or 20 years, so I know this. Mm-hmm. You put Sarah Holcomb in the top three, somewhere in the top three, for for the better part of a number of years, five, six, eight years. She could sometimes get past a peer, sometimes get past a, a Katrina Allen, but it was usually like those were the three names. Obviously, that has... At a shake up. That's elite series only because she took second at a silver event. Correct. And she took, I think, two fourths at other DGPT events. But just to hear that that was her first time in a year on the podium at an elite series event, I just, I was like, mm-hmm. wow. And, and immediately all my mind thought was, damn, it is so competitive uh, for someone who you would put in the top three almost every single weekend and, and things continue to. Mm-hmm. To get feisty out there. So congrats to all of them. Missy taking advantage of of the love and the vibes and the support and everything that she feels there. Of course, she loves showing up for her sponsors at that particular yeah. event. And I know I always think at least in a press conference situation, hey, do you feel there's any added pressures or anything you have to prove? And they always say, no, there's not. But damn, it's got to feel good to show up to one of the largest paychecks the, you know, where Discraft and Ledgestone are your two primary sponsors, and they're the sponsors of this event in the biggest capacity, and and then taking it down. So, just can't say enough. Uh, c- congrats uh, to her, and uh, we'll see what what the battle looks like come come Idlewild, because you know there there are so many contenders uh, on any given weekend, and and if own. And Idlewild is of Northwood. Yeah, Idlewild yeah. is Northwood Black Light. Yeah, it's uh, outside of one what relatively open hole 16, <laughs> sixteen. Outside of that, you're playing pretty much every shot in the woods. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, because you know, this is the place we talk about it. We'll, we'll quickly talk about the media um, as far as Northwood Black and coverage. Yes, the coverage was much much improved at. Northwood Black, those that front nine. Now it it wasn't perfect. We we were I'll say we were very good at keeping some of the the worst cameras off camera. Um, we, we had multiple lead card cameras to help bounce around in case one of the cameras maybe wasn't performing well. There are times you might notice like, oh man, why didn't he cut cut to the catch camera there? Mm. Might be because the catch camera wasn't showing us what we wanted to show, but. What we were getting is a hundred times better than what we've had in the past, which is zero. Um, it is a combination of a lot of hard work and money put in to the broadcast equipment, as well as probably, as we say every year, maybe some improvements in the area for cell signal. That's always getting better. But the equipment that they put in, as they're calling them, the cheeseburgers, the, uh, the private network. At one point, I heard the, our, our on-course guys saying, hey, hey. Run over to run over to hole three and move the antennas and face them this direction now. Mm. So they were constantly making sure to point the antennas in the best spots to where the cameras are for the best signal. Huge, huge shout out to the guys on the ground for making the front nine watchable. Because as I said, it wasn't before, and it 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 was the guys on the ground and the tournament staff themselves who I know have worked weeks or months prior to this to get an option. Uh, I heard they ran a couple thousand feet of fiber to make sure uh, between the stations and getting it back to wherever the backhaul was 
Um, just a, a phenomenal job. And I, my hat's off. I'm, gonna, I'm wearing a hat today, which I rarely do, but I'm not going to actually take it off. Mm. But symbolically, hats off to the, everyone who made that possible. It's, it's such a better experience getting to see those front nine than come in on the back nine when, you, when all you're seeing is scores. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll yeah, just reiterate that the relationship of the the pro tour along with all the people and the boots on the ground and and the staff and the crew uh, clearly both of them have to continue to work together to find the best possible solution if Northwood Black is going to be in play and we all know that we love seeing the golf and the challenge that it presents it's just frustrating for everyone truly that the the signal gets challenged so much there but to have what we did this year like you said, just a massive, massive improvement out there on the course. So like you, again, figuratively said, hats off to the Ledgestone crew, the, the city of Morton or the village of Morton, whatever they are. Uh, I, I know that I'm sure they were involved in some significant capacity. Uh, and then, of course, the Disc Golf Network. Everybody, all hands on deck, so to speak. And with that being said, now my hot take. Northwood Black shouldn't be on the tour. Oh, no. What? What? Um, it's unacceptable to have a 40-minute backup on a hole. Period. Yeah, it, it sucks. It, it, no, it doesn't suck. It's unacceptable. Oh. like, Land is And then on top of that, hole 14 could be a 20-minute backup as well. They need to make changes. You either need to make hole 12 shorter, mm. which nobody's going to like. Or, and I know Nate Heinold hates to hear this, you need to cut that field. 150 people is too many. I think there were 147 this year. Because that course is, like it or not, a a, a 1,010 minimum rated course as far as the player that should be on that course. The more players you have, the longer that's going to be, the longer that backup is. If you cut a third of the players out, go down to only 100 players, you're able to... You know, get those foursomes, spread them out a little bit more. It will alleviate the backup. Something needs to be done because literally it is unacceptable to have players. And it sucks for media as we get there and sit. And then we're we're fighting, watching our guys have to get down the down the fairway. But there's players playing and then we're waiting. And all right, we're just going to show four commercials here. And I mean, it's, it's kind of good because we get in a bunch of sponsors. But in general... The players also, that can't be great for them. They can't love that. Were they now, all right, we're going to sit here and we're going to sit here for 30 minutes while we watch other people throw and hit trees. And there's, it, there's nothing more frustrating. And I felt it back here from a camera perspective. I can't imagine the players when you're watching the this group that's the third card throw and they hit a tree and kick way right. And you're like, oh. That is good. We know that's going to be an extra 10 minutes now. It just something has to be done. If not, take the take take this awesome, phenomenal course off the tour. Mm. And it's and again, I don't want to see it leave the tour, but I also don't want to see us go back and have that type of thing. I used to say maybe take it off tour because it couldn't be covered very well. I think we've alleviated that problem. And now we need to look at the number of players going through there or maybe at minimum the quality of players because there's some 960, 970, 980 rated players that go through there. The backups start immediately. No one gets through that quickly unless we have an, a field of all Ricky Wysockis. Mm. Because Ricky's the only one who 
birdied, I birdied it, both it both days. So if everyone exactly. played like Ricky, then great. But unfortunately, they don't all play like Ricky. Some of them play like you and I, and that's not good. Yeah, I well, <laughs> the difference is <laughs> even if it did take me nine shots, I'd play it pretty quickly. Yeah, you are a fast not. player. A fast me too. Player. So, but at face value, I I do not disagree that it sucks in terms of the weights and everything that goes along with that. I'm right in that same camp. Nobody, nobody loves a backup of any kind. Are they inevitable at a certain hole at a certain point to some degree? Yes. Does it become absurd when, like you're saying, it's a 30 or 40 minute backup? It, It does. Yeah, it feels. And, and like you said, this is multifaceted because it, it's, it is terrible for the broadcast ultimately and it's terrible for the players everyone that's trying to come come and it's also and, and i know this is going to sound like a real maybe john madden moment almost but not only are you waiting for the backup getting cold standing around doing all these things whatever to pass the time then you have to go execute some of the most difficult shots of the day mm-hmm. so it's like you're cooling off all just to then go play some of the most difficult you know the the most difficult and, hole out there and 12 that's is the iconic hole on the course that's the hole everybody knows long turnover off the tee mm-hmm. second shot make it over the bridge third shot try to make it to the to the hill or maybe up the hill fourth shot throw it to the basket again if you're ricky you can cut one of those out but and then tap it in that's great we can't have this we cannot keep doing this over and over and Vinny during the press conference even said this course now is easier they cut out some of the underbrush and mm-hmm. we still had these kind of weights on, on 12 and 14. Yeah. And unfortunately Ugh. 12, 12 and 14 weren't as far as I could tell, weren't impacted nearly the way like holes seven or nine are. So 12 or 14 got really any easier. And, and even someone on the board is suggesting, well, maybe they're playing the hole wrong. You should blah, blah, blah. I don't care what you're, if you throw a mid, and you're trying to throw it 280 feet, and you clip, clip still the tiniest branch, and you kick 20 feet off the fairway, it doesn't matter if that was a mid at, at 60% power or a driver at 100% power. 20 feet off the fairway, if that's the result, it's going to suck. Like I, I don't, I'm not second-guessing how they're going after the hole. The fact is, it's a very tight line, or an entirety of tight lines, and as soon as you hit something and you kick off the fairway, you just have to throw that many more shots. I I could care less about the the quote unquote strategy for how they're going about it. It's just it's a very difficult and demanding hole to play. Um, and even the best in the world occasionally will hit a tree oh. or ten on that one. Yeah, I, I saw a social media post by Bradley Williams. I think it was Bradley Williams, or maybe it was Ezra Aderhold that were just jokingly saying we're counting the number of tree hits, and I'm up to twenty. And that was on the course in general, not necessarily oh, that hole. Okay, but well, it could have been that hole. That doesn't sound crazy, though. No, it, it, twenty it, on a, on the course. I don't know at what point they were on the course, though. It could have <laughs> been hole three. That could have been hole three yeah, or they're four. In trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but it's and again, I don't want to see this course off the tour. I do think something needs to be done, and to me, the easiest way is cut the field. And I know that hurts because Nate Heinold loves to have a lot of people there. He loves the bragging rights of having the biggest event. Each one of those. 50 people paid $225 to be there or whatever that number is, whatever whatever the number is these days. So that's a big chunk of purse. That's a couple grand. And Mm -hmm. that you don't want to take that out of the purse. And I get, I understand all of that. I just year 
after a year now. Well, what and, I've and, said and said, and, I've and, seen and, and said for this. better or worse, just as to put a final, finally put a button on this for better or worse for a couple of years, when we were coming in on the back nine, we'd start on hole 10. Cause that's when we got signal, mm-hmm. but then we'd get to hole 12 with the backup. So it's like, Hey, we just started off the broadcast ready to give you live disc golf. Oh, and here, wait, mm-hmm. here's a four crew backup. So that, that made it, that made yeah. it even worse at the time. I feel like, and now at least you've watched You've watched ten or eleven holes of golf before we get to it, but I, I, I'd be curious to know what not only Nate and the Ledgestone crew, you know, how they would their rebuttal to your uh, hot take, your hot take, <laughs> but then also what the pro tour and the tour crew, uh, you know, I mean, because there's multiple entities, sure. no one makes unilaterally all of the decisions. For these elite series events, uh, obviously different parties have different input. I'd be curious to know what both parties think of it. And, and I kind of feel at, well, I'll tell you, I know how the control room feels because we all talked about it, but mm. um, coming, coming into Idlewild, the KY hole, it's kind of similar. There's always, it's not as bad. I'm not going to, it's not hole 12 Northwood black bad. It's hole 13 at Idlewild. <laughs> it's hole 13. at Idlewild. There's usually like a, a one to two group back up there because that hole is so different now in that you get to get through the Y, but on top of it, it's just the right distance where you can drive the green, mm-hmm. but most people don't. So inevitably everybody's getting there, getting down, pitching up to the, the green so everybody has to wait you can't it's not like a par four where you could play on somebody it Correct. just it can't happen and so i i kind of feel the same way about the ky hole but not nearly to the extent because the backups aren't quite as bad but i still feel like any t- any hole on tour that consistently gives you a two card or more backup need something needs to be adjusted and that's how, and I'll say that about any, any course, any event, any tour, any tour stop. I, I just, I, I think that we need to make sure we have a good flow. Part of being a good course is having good course flow because imagine you put together the the best imaginary course in the world with some of the best holes on tour. You're talking a five and a half to seven hour round because some of those are the hardest holes on tour and you would just have backup after backup after and then put 150 people on it. I, I, I just want consistency and I, I don't I'm not picking on Northwood Black too much. I, I feel that way about all courses. So anyway, that's my Northwood Black hot take. And if you if, if you don't or you do agree with me, you can obviously make a comment in our our YouTube. We kind of check that once in a while, not only a live chat, but our uh, the YouTube comments on the broadcast. All right. Uh, that's what we saw. Do we want to recap? Was there any other significant? The, the only other thing that I saw someone bring up was Sarah Hokum calling own Scoggins on a time violation. Now, Terry, do you have any, any information on that, that we didn't necessarily see, or could you recap the situation a little bit? Uh, the, I, unfortunately I was down the fairway in this particular situation. Uh, we're talking about hole number 15 at sunset. And I believe it was round three. I think it was not round two. It would have been round two or three, but I believe it was three and, uh, Owen Scoggins, I, after throwing what I believe was her second, she was trying to line up maybe for her third shot. 
She was off to the right inside a or near a really big bush area uh, off to the right side of the fairway. I remember watching it go in that direction thinking that's not going to be good. I was a couple hundred feet away. I was down near the pin. And only, only through the commentary and some of our offline chat did I was I alerted that. Sarah had made it mentioned possibly to own something about a, you know, a time warning or violation or something of that nature. And I essentially had repeated that, um, but I was not physically standing there for it. And when I did chime in, what I said is it, it is kind of funny that we have this unwritten rule slash understanding seemingly that when players are finding themselves because players often exceed 30 seconds when it comes to difficult lies. Mm-hmm. A lot, I mean, the best players, the worst players, and everyone in between often exceed 30 seconds when you're talking about finding your lie, getting into your lie, taking your stance, and lining up your shot. I mean, I would say damn near every single player in the tournament at one time has certainly exceeded 30 seconds due to a difficult lie. So it feels as if there's this additional understanding or patience when people are clearly faced with a difficult lie and, and not most people won't say anything about it or almost don't even think about it is my under, is what I would say. That's been always my perception. When time violations become egregious and or obvious and frustrating is when someone is standing over an open lie mm-hmm. and is just taking again, exceeding their 30 seconds and is just blatantly doing it for what seems either like a wind read or a wind, a wind shift or uh, just uh, an amount of pump fakes. And, and we all know um, who our usual suspects are in that. And it's not to pick on them. It's just, that's what usually happens. Do you think that the time violation should have been called? I know you didn't see it. Well, and what I'll say did she probably take a really long time? I'm guessing she did because I, I remember standing there again. I'm a couple hundred feet away. She was in a, she, she was in a tree ish, uh, a tree or a bush mm-hmm. in there pretty deep. My understanding is she, you know, you have 30 seconds from when you establish basically when you, when the God, how, how, what is the exact wording? Cause I just read it. Um, more or less when you have, when you've gotten to your T and or gotten, sorry, gotten to your lie and assessed your position, assessed your lie more or less is what it is addressed, not addressed, assessed. Okay. So now there is a little bit of play in there. I, and I'm sorry, cause I didn't see it and I, I didn't have a chance to go back and dig it up to, to see it on the thing. My understanding is she was in the right to call it because sure. own, own was taking over 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. The, the question is, the odds are nobody else would have made that call. <laughs> and I don't blame Sarah for making, I'm not I'm here to rag on Sarah. No, um, I don't, not. I don't know what Sarah, if here, I'll just, just, yeah, just to go for put it. it out there blatantly and I'll, I'll link this and then I'll read, uh, eight zero two point zero three excessive time. A player has taken excessive time. If they are present and have not thrown within 30 seconds, one after the previous player is thrown, which obviously, two, after they had had a reasonable amount of time to arrive at and determine the lie. Determine, not assess. Three, after they are next in throwing order, and four, in which the uh, playing area remains clear. 
so all of those would indicate that she was ready to go, that mm-hmm. your 30 seconds would be started. And then it says, B, a player who takes excessive time receives a warning for the first violation. Which is what she got. A player who takes excessive time after that, after being warned for it during the round, receives one penalty throw. Um, and uh, and then it goes on to say, a player may request extra time for using the bathroom, which is also, again, something that's uh, been amended in the last few years, which I love to see. Mm-hmm. Obviously, nobody should be punished if they have to run off and use a restroom, and they're given reasonable time to do so. So Hannah Hannah Macbeth is on the board, and I'm just going to read because, as she says, she was right there for it. Uh, Hannah Macbeth was standing near the actual, uh, excuse me, the actual conversation, and now all of a sudden, I want to read it verbatim here. She, uh, this is what Hannah says. She did take a while. But it was toward the end of the round, so not too many more holes to be called on. Everyone was cool about it and moved on quickly. There was no bad blood or awkward tension or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, Then Hannah also just says, it was nice to see the rules upheld and received so well. I think there are too many horror stories out there and it gets awkward. And I don't believe, like I said, I don't believe Sarah Hogan did anything malicious. I don't believe you, you, you call the violations that you see. And if, and if own was in a violation of the time, there's nothing wrong with giving her a warning on that. Yeah. And I pr- personally, it probably would have not crossed my mind. I don't know if it would have crossed your mind just b- based on the, the lie. You're right. If someone's digging themselves into a tree to get a lie, it's it, everybody seems to have like a little bit of padding on those 30 seconds. I, I feel like it comes down to how does it feel in the moment? Because almost everyone's going to exceed the 30 seconds. The question is, and again, I didn't see it, so I should go back and watch it. Did she go in and out nine times? Did she go? Did, did she make six disc swaps? Because at a certain point you're like, all right, just throw. Like, mm-hmm. uh, of course, if you have a difficult lie getting in there, I'm game with all of that. It's then do you then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. are you wishy-washy for the next two minutes as to what you're going to do when you clearly have your lie and it sucks, but you're just not deciding what to do? That's when I think at a certain point, everyone has an internal trigger of like, okay, what's going on? There was another instance, and, and I'm glad I don't remember who it was, but there was somebody that was uh, somebody else this weekend when I was following along. And I don't even remember if it was men's or women, but I remember somebody getting into a lie and just thinking, okay, your lie sucks. hundred percent. Took you a little while to get in there. Got it. Now you're just taking forever to decide which line you want to throw. Mm-hmm. Once you're in there, once you've established it and you have your two or three or four discs with you and you're still taking forever. That's, that's, that's where I yep. personally felt I'm- like, okay. <laughs> let's go here so all right just uh, just a situation i thought i'd bring up that, no, I, that was discussion on a couple of social media boards and obviously our board had brought it up so i wanted to get your opinion or take on it i totally agree with hannah in that uh it's good to see the rules upheld yes it's good to see that owen took it well as you should because it's clearly shouldn't be made a personal thing anytime we have some of these rules i do like to see that you know some people have uh, you know the the longer conversation for another day is some people say hey you should be able to clarify or call for an extension like twice per round if we stick with 30 seconds because that doesn't feel like enough. Maybe once or twice or three times a round, you can just call out extension uh, on time. Uh, that I know has been talked about for many years. I'd be, it's not in the upcoming next year's rules, but I wouldn't have a problem with that. If again, if you're looking at, there was one point uh, at Northwood Black 
own on hole 12 went down into the ditch. Like she, she hit the trees on the right and fell straight down into the very center of the ditch. Mm. So she had to walk down there, find the disc and then get a lie and throw and throw up to the next landing zone. And I, all I was thinking there was like, ugh. I wouldn't want to do that. That's going to take a while to find a disc and that's going to take a while to get a lie. And that could take a while to assess because own couldn't see the, the fairway. She, which is really funny. She had to go down. So she was way down in the ditch. It's against the rules to tell like somebody else, Hey, go stand in the middle of the fairway and use you as a spot. You can't do that. So I, all I was thinking is like, what if she just like ran up to see where she wants to throw? I think she talked to somebody about kind of the direction she had pointed and they had said yes or no about where she wanted to throw. She ended up going off to the left into the trees and had another poor lie, which then she went off to the right and into the tree. Then she kind of played army golf for a little bit. But it, yeah, just uh, just interesting situ- rule situations that we don't often see. And I, I hope that we see. I hope we see people calling more people. I don't necessarily hope we see people more calling violations, more violations or pe- more people calling own. Call. Yeah, a willingness. <laughs> but a willingness is I, I, the way to have it. I, I would go as far as to say there is a an ounce of irony that if I were to, and hmm. I again, I don't think this is meant. This isn't offensive. I don't think so. If I were to list FPO competitors. And and time violations or near time violations or on the slower side, I would put Sarah near the top of that list. Yeah, there, she, there, she, she takes all 29 and a half seconds sometimes. And sometimes more. And I can say that because I have filmed dozens or walked along for dozens mm-hmm. or hundreds of, of rounds with a camera. And I'm not saying she's necessarily habitual with it, but if I were if I had to make a list. I would put her on the slower side of of the division in terms of uh, time. So I think others who feel that way found some irony in in the call that she's making a call on another player being uh, slow. But it, as we said, real funny re- regarding time and slow cards. I believe it was the final round we were playing, and at one point, the chase card had gotten backed up. And we were like, oh, gosh, how did they get backed up? And someone goes, um, on the card is Chris Dickerson, Nicola Castro, and Joel Freeman. And I was like, oh, that's, that's three 29 and a half second players right there. Or as we know, maybe more. Um, and it was, you know, all of those players are very meticulous and monotonous. I don't say monotonous, but meticulous with their pre-shot warmups. And it's a... Uh, Maybe with the other one was Hamas too on that card. Mm. I think it might have been Hamas who sometimes can be that way as well. So it was no surprise that the chase card at one point did catch the uh, the third card and mm. in the control, and we all kind of chuckled. And we were fortunate as the lead card did not really ever have a backup. Um, we were able to fly through pretty quickly. I think there was only one or two minor backups on that final round, so it was good. But it just we all laughed when we heard what card was causing the backup, and we we're like, oh yeah. We've all covered them. We all know what they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Yes, we can move on from that and ask on the board, which is a little more after show fodder. I did get my Brixton cards. They showed up during the weekend while Ooh. I was gone. I have not even opened the box or boxes or the individual boxes or packs of cards yet. 
Uh, that's going to have to be maybe a next week endeavor at this point. But I, I, they did show up. I got my last box in the mail yesterday. It's sitting upstairs, which I will not open. That's going to be my sealed. I always keep one sealed box of them. It's going to go right in my box of boxes of disc just, golf cards. It's just all. Uh, it's all gold packs in that yeah, one. That's what uh, it's, with, it, it, it was an, in them. Yeah, so. an error, an error box with just nothing but gold signature Terry cards. It's really that, strange. Yeah, that's what you can do. Yeah. No. all right no. i hope not <laughs> great our producer says checking in solely to see if you got a chance to talk welcome home time violation rewind mo uh, about yeah four, 30, uh, about three minutes four to five minutes we did yeah. we did talk about it briefly. yeah and we're out of time on that <laughs> and then you say how long ago so i can get your takes it, yeah literally five not minutes a, ago. not a lot we of just hot takes that here conversation. <laughs> <laughs> don't you have other things to do mo like send me the right link to uh, this weekend's uh, stuff, I, I almost emailed you back and said, hey, I know you use a template, Mo, when you're sending out stuff for the production, but adjust the template to, uh, to uh, be right for this weekend. <laughs> I've got, I got a link to some Ledgestone stuff. All right, there's my rant on our producer. Oh, Mo. Jace. All right, anything else we want to talk about? Uh, PDJ News, uh, our, our directors, was that since last week? Yeah, we announced that last oh, yeah, week. We the, announced that last week. Congrats to all of them. Uh, our yeah, our provincial uh, coordinators, our state coordinators. Enough of you didn't vote. I already said that. Fourteen point three nine percent was vo- voter turnout. So you got nothing to blame but yourselves. Yeah, we talked um, all about this last so, week. So yeah, uh, I just want to drive that point home. Fourteen point something voter turnout. Okay. Yep. And just so we know, I know we talked about the proposed rules changes, uh, but there is now. Uh, <laughs> that you can there, i think there's a few new ones as it, this oh. is this is an this is an article or no i'm sorry now the public comments are open is what it is for the competition oh. revisions okay so that you can look on the pdga site for that all right other than that i ain't got much else terry that was a ledgestone it kind of eats up the entire yeah disc well, golf world uh, four round event two sets of courses three total what three total courses four courses oh. how many did we play four different courses Kind of, sort of, with Northwood being, yeah, it was uh, it was a long weekend. Uh, of course, the weather weather did hit. In case you guys didn't know, uh, things got shifted on Sunday, uh, up about an hour and a half to two hours, roughly. Everything to beat got the worst up. of the yeah to to try and miss the nasty nasty stuff that was going to come through. It didn't come through quite as early as like five or six originally when it talked about it. it ended up coming through like an hour and a half to two hours after that. But nonetheless, it was uh, all those precautions made to move things up. So things get done a little bit quicker on Sunday. Uh, You know, again, hats off to Seth Muncie, who uses some really fancy, like, like industry grade stuff. That's right there with MLB and NFL. He uses uh, various programs and services that uh, I think like five figures are spent on some of these programs and services or the disc golf pro. I just tour. have a website called like lightningstrike.org uh, or something. Well, yeah, that's it's just as good as that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then Seth Muncie also is in direct communication with, I, I think, national and local meteorologists. So clearly, player, staff, volunteer safety, all paramount. And uh, it, it you're sitting at home saying, oh, so-and-so doesn't know what you're talking about. No, there's people that are doing real work out there mm-hmm. uh, and trying to do their best. And uh, it sometimes goes overlooked. 
And the last thing we'll talk about before we go into our after show, uh, the only other big event this weekend was overseas. It's the Finnish National Championships. Uh, obviously, this is a big event in Finland. It, it, it was in Lati, Finland. Winning this one was Nicholas Antala at 20 under, beating Rasmus, Otto, and, uh, and Piri. So congratulations. And Lori Letnin. Those were all tied for third. And But the bigger story, I think, was in FPO, which was uh, Heidi Laine wins this one. She shot 17 over par, tied with Evelina Salonen. Third place was Silva Saarinen, and fourth place was Henna Blomrus. Now, the interesting part is I believe someone said for like the last seven years, which seems like a lot considering their ages, um, it was either Evelina or Henna winning this event. So to have right? s- have somebody new come and win, and it went to a playoff with Evelina, where uh, where Heidi won. So it's uh, a lot of talent over on the FPO side in, over in Finland. Yeah, and also Exciting. it's great to see when you, we read off those names. Those are all four names that you recognize and have seen, whether it's the Disc Golf Pro Tour or uh, a tour over there somewhere in Europe. The you know. Euro tour or whatever, all the different tours. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting to a point where our international FPO player and MPO player names are truly becoming household names. Cause we've seen them here. And then we see what they're, uh, how they succeed over there. It's uh, it's pretty cool to see. Very exciting. All right. Well, I think with that being said, we could uh, go ahead and we can call it. This has been episode 466. It's been awesome. Talking to Cole Radalin, the 18-year-old that has picked up the Elite Plus event. He's too nice. Uh, just so incredibly nice. Skips winning an A-tier. Skips winning a Silver Series. Skips winning... So not Silver Series, you old buck. Whatever. Whatever names you guys... <laughs> don't even get me going on it. Um, you know, no, I'm not wrong, though. He didn't win a Silver Series. You're right. He did not win a Silver Series. He didn't win a Silver event, either. Uh, he didn't win any... Non-elite plus, non-elite, blah, 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 whatever hundred other names we're going to start giving our our uh, distinctions But the to. most important is he won a unified event. Yes. <laughs> that is most important. Thank you, Cole Radalin, for joining us. Thank you to all the love and the support. Again, being on site, I, I get showered with so much support and love uh, for us here at Smashbox, as well as the Disc Golf Guy channel. So I we we certainly appreciate all of it, including Vance, Tom McManus, a few of our Smashies, Zach Pajak, who's out there. So many of our Smashies that are regulars at the some of these Midwestern events, especially. For Johnny V, I'm the Disc Golf Guy. That's 466. We're going to take a quick break, and in just a few moments, we'll be back with our after show. We'll see you then. You step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV.